This is the Swishwire Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of the Swishwire Podcast. This is the pilot. I'm the host, Justin Lastrotosa, and I'm here with my co-host, Mitchell, Scobie, Jay, Nick, and Zach. Guys, say what's up. What's up? What's up? What's happening? So, Glad to be here to talk some hoops. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're just going to get right into it. First, we're going to talk about some rookies. Uh, we're just going to go around and we'll just um, talk about some rookies we want to talk about. So, Mitchell, is there a rookie that has stood out to you so far? All right. So here's I'm coming in with a little bit of a screwball. So the rookie that I'm going to sort of highlight is Jalen Smith of the Phoenix Suns. Um, so Jalen out of Maryland spent two years there. He was a freshman, kind of showed some flashes of floor spacing and some good shot blocking. But when his sophomore season is when he really sort of made his like value. He was an elite shot blocker, showed some isolation and spaced the floor, shot like 38, 37 percent from three. He's only played about seven minutes a game for Phoenix, which is kind of like a how can we tell how good he's going to be kind of thing. He draws a lot of Miles Turner vibes from me. Um, in his short stints, he's been able to sh- showcase that he can spot up at the three, not while mobile, but it's enough to provide spacing. He has erased shots at the rim in preseason, like just completely swallowed them, which is great for him. And you got to kind of think you don't just take at face value what he could become. You got to take at what he gives right now. And I think, you know, 10 minutes a game from him, you can see a block, a made three and energy. And that's all you really need from him. Mm-hmm. I actually see Miles Turner a lot when he came out of the draft. I mean, like shooting the ball and, you know, I mean, he's shown skills, some skill of putting it on the floor. Not a lot though. And his rim protection is just elite. So, I mean, that pick from the Suns, I didn't really like it, honestly. Because I had Aiden, and the, I would've... the problem is he's not going to develop into what he could be behind Aiden, and that's just yeah. he's he he's a capable four. He will not see more than twenty minutes at the four, and that's the only problem. Mm-hmm. That was my problem with it because Aiden's the five; he should be a five, unless he's like one of the best backups in the league in a few years. Like, I don't really like that for the Suns. Uh, does anyone else have anything to add about Jalen Smith? I just like the way that he wears those glasses. Sometimes, man, that's about it. Very similar to you, the way you wear your glasses. Yeah, you, you, could, the say glasses. Come on. you could say that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I can so much now. Thank you. Thank you so much. The uncanny resemblance there. Mm-hmm. Jay looks <laughs> just like Jalen Smith. The names are really like the same. Perfect. Jay, Jalen. Yeah, because right. yeah, they both have Jay in them. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> All right. So, Scobie, we already know who you're going to talk about probably because, you know, you're the Hornets guy, so go along with it. Uh, well, obviously, I want to talk about LaMelo Ball. I mean, obviously, this was a guy who, you know, coming in, mm, you know, a lot of hype, you know, some of the most we've seen for a guy coming in in a while. Uh, and he he's lived up to it. I mean, I definitely think, you know, there were a lot of question marks, uh, you know, as far as his individual offensive skill set coming in. You know, was he going to be able to, to score efficiently at the NBA level? Because that had always been... Uh, something questioned, you know, throughout his his uh, international pro career. Uh, but I mean, it's quick. It's 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 clicked quickly for him. I mean, just playing in that in that offense, they have the personnel to play fast. And when you have a guy like Melo who can really push the pace uh, and you know force the guys around him to play to his speed, it does wonders for that offense. You know, you see the the high flying transition plays. 
I mean, his his feel for the game is off the charts as a rookie. You know, he just really pushes pushes the ball uh, and and you know really puts pressure on the defense. And I mean, individually, you know, he's been knocking down the free ball. You know, he's he's got swagger, confidence, the way he brings the ball up the floor. You know, every every shot he takes, there's just so much flair to it, and it's really exciting to see. You know, for a small market team like Charlotte. Uh, you know, especially after, you know, the departure of Campbell Walker for them to get, you know, what looks like their franchise guy in that in that really talented, deep, talented young core. And, you know, with Gordon Hayward too, you know, the Hornets, they're, they're going to make a strong playoff push this year for sure. Aren't they a top eight seed already right now? They're six like right six. now. Yeah. 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 And with the East That's being like, you know, like the fifth seed is like 500, like they could easily slip in. Yeah, that that stretch in the east from you know the uh, the fifth, sixth seed down to you know ten is really close and competitive. You know we're gonna see. I'm really looking forward to to the new playing system with, with how competitive those teams are. I like how everyone everyone always talks about how, how Michael Jordan as the owner hasn't really like he hasn't been a good owner to this point. But over the summer, he added the best rookie in the class, and he also added the best realistic free agent that he possibly could have added in Gordon yeah. Hayward. The two great moves that he made. This was easily his best offseason as a as an owner. Yeah, Hayward, and I mean, my bad. You go ahead. You go ahead. I was just gonna say, if Gordon Hayward could stay healthy. Everyone was saying that was a huge overpay because in like it didn't look like he was what he was, even though like he was in Boston, he was the Utah Hayward. Just so many guys in front of him. But like, if he could stay healthy, he's totally worth thirty million. Like he's an All Star level player. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of he's one of the most well-rounded wings in the league. I mean, there really are many weaknesses in his game, uh, and I think he really mediates that young core because last year, you know, the Hornets, you could you could see the talent. I mean, you had that that core: the guard spots, Terry, Devonte, Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington. They really needed a a veteran in there to to kind of mediate things. Uh, and, and Gordon's done a great job, and you know, he's really. Uh, rebounded massively, you know, it, it's taken a while, but, you know, he's really back at that high all-star elite level. Uh, and I mean, really, I think that team's only big weakness right now is is the is the center spot. You know, if they can add a center who can play to their pace and, and you know, run the floor, they're going to be really scary. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'll always, like, love about LaMelo's game, and this translates into something that I've been watching a lot too, Emmanuel, quickly, is... He utilizes not just the floater inside the three, push shots, teardrops, little runners. Anytime he's inside the three-point line, it's liable to fly. And he's accurate enough with them. And it you legitimately have to respect at some point when he takes a single step in from the three and you see his right arm launch up because it's it's decent enough that it's gonna you're gonna draw defense for it. And I've seen too many where he turns a teardrop into a downward pass to Washington or into like a light lob for bridges, and it's just just seeing him sort of like nimble his way with those little tiny shots is just mwah, his feel for the he, game as a rookie is so so advanced. He's oh, yeah. he's a thirty five year old in that body. He he and knows I really, how to get guys uh, really, out of their spots. That's great. I really like what a uh, what, what Coach Borrego has done with him too, because you know there was a lot of really unnecessary early criticism for the way he handled Melo's minutes. But I mean, it's been so beneficial in the short term, and it will be in the long term. You know, he's been strict with him, but you should be because, it, you know, you can already see the difference. Lamelo forced a lot of turnovers early on. Uh, he, you know, he made some questionable decisions with the basketball. And you see ever since he's been inserted into that starting role, there's a lot more trust on the part of Coach Borrego to uh, 
you know, to 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 keep him in the game longer and to to consistently up his minutes. Uh, and the turnovers are going down rapidly. So, you know, I definitely think, you know, being streaked with Melo early has, has helped him massively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I, I think that – oh, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, that's what I love. I, I, a lot of rookies come in and they're just handed their minutes off off of their name or off of their draft position or off of their hype or whatever it is. But LaMelo had to come in and earn his minutes from the jump. He wasn't just handed a starting role like a lot of people are. And yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I think there's there's a perfect time to let your young guys play through their bumps or there's a perfect time to sit them down and say, look, these are mistakes that you're going to continuously make if I don't show you what you're doing wrong. Trey's a great example of that. Atlanta let him play through the bumps, but they didn't set him there for 48 minutes a game. They told him, look, if you're going to have five turnovers, five turnovers a game, you're going to sit for 20 minutes. That's just how it's going to go. The LaMelo experiment absolutely perfect because not only did they like you know bring him in and tell him you're doing these problems they announced it they told everybody this is the reason he's not starting you know what he did bounced back got rid of those turnovers immediately like i'm talking like day and night change intensity on defense he doesn't just stand around and look at the ball anymore he's there he's engaged with his defender it's i just i just think that you know being open about people's shortcomings in that sense just pays dividends in the future just holding them accountable Something yeah. that I yeah. really think will help with his development is that this Hornets team makes the playoffs. Like, we've seen, like, he struggled a little bit early on. He was still great, but he struggled a little bit with turnovers, things like that. But he's bounced back from that completely, and, you know, that's helped his game a lot. If they could get to the playoffs, and LaMelo could, you know, in his rookie year, get that, you know, feel for the playoffs, he might not do amazing his first time, but to get that experience, that's going to be perfect. And that's where, you know, Gordon Hayward comes in, you know, leading them there. I just, I mean, and also, like, I don't know how well they'd fit in the playoffs because the pace sort of slows down. But regardless, like LaMelo in the playoffs, that's going to be huge for his development if they make it there. Lately, And also, I think something else, I think something else important is, uh, you know, one of the, something people looked at initially with that draft decision is, you know, they saw you had Devontae and Terry there already and, and questioned the fit purely because of that guard depth. Whereas I think that's been massive for Melo because that adds, you know, this competitiveness, uh, you know, this, this, the, you know, him having to to really fight for that, you know, to be the best guard on that team, uh, and to to earn that that primary ball handling role, uh, you know, coming coming in fighting against two guys who really proved themselves last year. I mean, with Devonte being in the most improved race last year, I definitely think you know that kind of that friendly that friendly fire, you know, that that competition was was big for him early on too. For the first time in his entire life, he couldn't just nonchalant his way into the starting lineup. And that unlocked so much for his game. He had to sit down and be like, damn, I can't just go off of my name anymore. I have to show why I deserve to be here. And he did. I, I think he not only showed why he belonged in that primary ball handler, handler role, but he showed that he could shoulder a little bit more on offense too. And I think that's just going to be up and up and up going forward. Mm-hmm. So, Jay, do you have any rookies that stood out to you? Yeah, the main one I've been watching myself is the mellow, like we just talked about. So I won't add too much. All I'll really say is um, him starting has clearly been beneficial to himself and the Hornets. And the the season got shortened this year from 82 to 72 games, as we all know. And I think that the Hornets are a team that could really benefit from that. I think if they're in that like 7-8 range at the end of the season, they're a team that could have maybe went on a little losing streak at the end and dipped out. But I think now with the shortened season, they can kind of maintain to a playoff spot. 
And I think that when they get there, they can actually do pretty well because we know Hayward's going to get 20 plus. He's, he's been in the playoffs before he's a winning player and LaMelo ball, whether he's been efficient or not has always been on the big stage ever since his first year of high school. So I think he definitely rise to that too. So that's all I really have to say about rookies myself. There's something smooth to add there. Something smooth to add there. The Hornets are six and zero oh in uh, in back to backs this year, uh, and I definitely think you can attribute that to the young legs they have over there. You know, they got a, a lot of young guys in that rotation, so that's going to be big for them too. And also, uh, Lamelo Ball has been the, in my opinion, the biggest culture changer in the league this year. That's just another thought to add to that. I completely agree. This team, my bad. Last, You're good. The last thing I want to add is. Uh, even like the past years with Kemba there, I feel like felt like nobody was really paying attention to Hornets basketball. Yeah. And now well, there, he's put the buzz back in Buzz City. And they have the best looking jerseys in the league. Mm-hmm. Oh, they I want to throw something out there. So I said this um, in our chat a few months ago, but with this team, it kind of resembles the 2019 Brooklyn Nets with D'Angelo Russell and me. They're a team that, you know, they're, they have a great culture. You know, they have young guys leading the helm in there. They also have some veterans, you know, that do their jobs in there. And, you know, and no expectations. Yeah, no expectations. You know, they both play at similar paces. The Hornets, they play faster than the Nets did. But, you know, they both play to that. And when they get hot, they get hot. You know, they keep going, they keep that momentum rolling. And, you know, I just think like a team like that, you know, that's a playoff caliber team. You know, they have the talent in there. Some teams, they have more talent. Some teams have more talent than the Hornets team. But, you know, the way they play, the culture, everything like that, that's huge for this Hornets team. One of the things I want to add about, because we're bringing up pace a lot for the Hornets, uh, throughout LaMelo's, like, professional career, when he was overseas, I don't know if a lot of people got to watch in here, but there were games where he realized that just going balls to the walls 100% isn't always going to be the answer. He made opponents play to his pace. When he was on the Hawks over there, they weren't the best team in any retrospect. Like they were dookie. They were dog cheeks. But he made opposing guards play to his rhythm. And that's something that the playoffs allows you to do on a night in, night out basis. I think LaMelo is, and this might be a bit outlandish, but he's suited to carry an offensive load in his like 24, 25, 26 year old in the playoff. Like, I can see him being not only the primary ball handler, but one of the primary facilitators and scorers for Charlotte going like into his prime. Do you think he could be a number one on a championship team? I, I, I think if he I can think get he to can. the point where he, so here's the thing. My main gripes with Melo right now still kind of has a shaky shot selection. It's improving every game though. I will give him that every single game. It gets better. He's an engaged defender. That doesn't mean you're instantly a good defender that can improve because again, he's, He's not, he doesn't weigh a lot. His, his lower body's kind of unstable, but that is all things you can improve on. He's a young he's guy. Not, yeah, that's the thing. Nobody's got the booty like Kyle Lowry. So going forward, LaMelo definitely become, can become a number one offensive option. And this is, this is like super outlandish for me to say, but he can become like a really above average defender. That's I, his, length, his length is perfect for that. And honestly, I do think LaMelo can be the number one on a title team. Obviously not right now, but like in the future, I think he can. Obviously, there's not many players that really could do that. But, like, for me right now, there's only uh, around four guys who could do it in really any situation they're in, which is Steph, LeBron, Kawhi, and Kevin Durant. And there's just pretty much everyone else. They need, you know, not a perfect situation, but they need a really good situation around them for that to happen. 
I feel like LaMelo lands in there. Like, I think he's going to need a really good situation to be, you know, the guy on a championship team. But I think it could work in the future. Kevin Durant doesn't need a perfect situation, huh? No. I mean, I mean, okay. obviously Kevin Durant was on the greatest team of all time. Okay. But, I mean, what you, you, we all know he could be the best player on the show. You like to call him LeMickey. You like to call him LeMickey, and you're going to say Kevin Durant can win Le wherever Mickey he goes. LeMickey is a joke. Uh, LeMickey is a joke. <sighs> Let's we move on to Zach's rookie. Yeah, Zach. Getting a little too crazy. Zach, we know who you're going to say, so go for it. Uh, Patrick Williams. Obviously, I'm the resident. Jr. That's such a surprise. I didn't see that one coming. Of course, yeah. I kind of shocked the, all the listeners here, too, as well. But uh, Patrick Williams, man, th- he was a guy, number four overall pick. Everyone hated it right off the bat. Everyone was reacting right away. Me, Will as be. a Bulls me as a Bulls fan, I chose to just sit back and, and let it all play out because this is a whole new front office, a whole new coaching staff. I didn't want to react right away. I wanted to trust them until they gave me a reason not to trust them. But Patrick Williams is a guy who came in and he, even before the draft, he's a guy who fits the, the modern NBA and the way that the NBA is going perfectly. He's a guy who can do everything. He's at 19 years old. He's already built like a truck. He's super like jacked and he's got huge legs. He's strong. He can defend, he can rebound, he can shoot. Um, he can, he's got nice touch on his floaters and his runners in the lane. He can finish at the rim. And he's been like, like I'm not going to say he's been a surprise because I didn't really have a lot of like super expectations coming in, but he's been a guy that I'm not going to say like the Kawhi comparisons are there, obviously, because the guy moves like Kawhi when he's on the court. Let's be real. He looks like Kawhi when he plays. I'm not going to sit here and say that he can – be a guy who can be a finals MVP and carry a team to a championship. But Patrick Williams is going to be a guy who's going to carve out a role for his entire career. We're going to look back on him in 15 or 17 years and be like, Hey, this is a guy who pooped his entire career. He's not going to be a guy who had like a one breakout season and then dipped. He's going to be a consistent contributor for his entire career. So as a Bulls fan, are you happy that you guys picked him then? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, mainly because of the versatility that he gives our team mm-hmm. because he can play like multiple positions. And like I said, that, that's the way that the NBA is going is positionless basketball. Mm-hmm. So come in and play multiple positions and, and defend multiple positions is huge. And, and that was the big thing coming in was everybody knew that his defense was going to be what it was, but his shooting stroke and his, his finishing and touch around the rim has been a huge like plus, like it's just icing on the cake at this point. Now, this is going to be a, a no offense to the Kawhi comparisons, but do you agree with the comparison of a juiced Paul Millsap, of a Hawks Paul Millsap? I see he doesn't Maybe. exactly have in my in my eyes Patrick Williams doesn't have like that a quicker Paul Millsap. That's I what I'm see saying. Where you're he going he doesn't have the shifty mobility of a Kawhi, but he has that strength that Millsap had in his Atlanta days, where yep. he gets to his spots regardless of who's in front of him. And he can bang, but he can stretch too. That's the other thing about him. I, I see him as a guy who fluctuates so much between the three and the four that like you don't even know what to call him as a combo at that point. Because um, like you and said, his, his defense, oh, that's that's where that comes in. I think that's where he can solidify the – he'll swat the hell out of a wing, go back back down a five, come back, guard the primary oh. ball, handler, go back and forth, go guard their power forward, come up yep. for their two guard and block him. Like that's the thing. He, he reminds me so much of a guy because I think he's only around like 230, 225 right now. Anyway, he reminds me, yeah, he reminds me of a guy who can add so much weight down here that it just he becomes an immovable six, eight guy that people think that, oh, this is an easy post up. And no, you get that sweat right back. 
And sometimes that can be a bad thing where you don't really know if, if a forward is a three or a four. Like, yeah. I don't want to throw Aaron Gordon under the bus, but he's an, he's kind of an example yeah. of that. Orlando where you don't really know where he fits with that core. But Patrick Williams, with the, with the with the rest of the core that we have, he's like a perfect fit. And the thing that impresses me the most about him right away, even the first game I watched him in the preseason was how patient he was. He doesn't force anything. He doesn't let the other team like rush him. He just, he just gets to his spots and he, he knows what he's good at and he sticks to it. He doesn't try to do anything outside of his role. And I think that is a, that's a huge asset moving forward, especially from a rookie. I mean, you don't, you don't see that ever really. Mm-hmm. You know, I made a post about Patrick Williams the other day and um, you mentioned this already, Zach, you know, he doesn't have a flaw. Like whether it's on defense, you know, he could guard on the post, he could guard on the perimeter, he could guard multiple positions. All, offensively, he could create, he could play off ball, he could shoot, he get, he could get to the rim, he could do it all. He's really like one of the smartest rookies in the entire class. I, I really, with thoughts. Mm-hmm. I really do think Patrick Williams will be the second best player in this draft. Like, think, I think that. Hold up, hold up. I think that Patrick Williams could legitimately be the second best player in this class. I'm sorry about that. Something happened on my computer. But um, I think he could be the second best player in this class. I mean, when you look at this draft class, I mean, a lot of people were like, it has no star power. But, like, I think it has more than people gave it credit, credit for. Like, Lamella Ball, Patrick Williams, as I said, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards. I think there's, like, this is going to be a really deep draft class. And I think Patrick Williams is going to be towards the top of it. So, Nick, do you have any rookies that you want to – uh, talk about. I was just—I mean, you just mentioned James Wiseman. He's had a—he's had a bit of an up and down year, I would say, for the for the Warriors. He's been in and out with injuries and COVID to start the year. But one of the things that shocked me is—I don't watch every Warriors game, but it feels like whenever I do, he just forgets how to catch the ball. Sometimes like he has really bad hands that I didn't know he had coming out of the draft. Like he was always said, or his scouting report always said. Good hands, good finisher. He can space the floor a little bit. His jump shot's a little slow, but, I mean, that can be worked on. It's nothing major. Um, he he just looks like a rookie this year on a team that's ready to contend. I think that's Wiseman, the best way to phrase it. Yeah, Wiseman was supposed to be a safe pick to be a contributor now. Yeah. He has looked like a 60-overall raw prospect. It, it frustrates me because he has all the tools to be an elite defender. He's got – like sideways mobility, perfect. He's got great length. He's got good core strength. He just doesn't utilize it. His jump shot, slow. Mechanics are good. He knows his spots, forces them all the time. His yeah. post game, a little unpolished, but he's an athletic freak who could probably put it down on most guys, just doesn't do it. I don't understand if it's a mental thing, if it's a Warriors don't want him to become whatever kind of thing. I don't know if it's Draymond pushing him away from that kind of thing, but he has just... Everywhere where I thought he would have strengths, he's disappeared. And everywhere where I thought his weaknesses would be hidden in the Warrior system have just been amplified. And I don't – he was a guy that I had a lot of hopes in coming forward, and he hasn't well, that, filled what I thought. That, that could be due to the fact that the Warriors have playoff hopes. You know what I mean? Like they're a team that came into this year intending to compete. But yeah. I think this is the perfect place for James Wiseman because – like you said, he has all the tools to become an elite defender, and who better to mentor him than, than Draymond Green? Draymond is, is obviously like one of the most elite defenders in the entire league, 
And if anybody can take James Wiseman and put him in spots to succeed, I think it's him. And also playing next to guys like Steph, Raymond, and Clay next year, there is no pressure on James Wiseman to be like elite right away. I mean, there is because they're trying to win, but from an individual standpoint, he doesn't have to come in and be a star right away, if that makes sense. He doesn't have to be like the LaMelo ball peak. He just has to be, he has to be a good starter. That's part of the issue though, is that for his entire career, because when they said the Warriors came out and said, yeah, they wanted to get LaMelo, but they took Wiseman for the fit. Um, That's, it's going to be the same thing as like Marvin Bagley and Luka Doncic from the uh, draft three years ago. I, they're always going to be compared. And right now, based off how it is, it looks like the Warriors really messed up not taking LaMelo. But, uh, I mean, again, it's only been a third of the season. He hasn't even played that many games. So, yeah. I mean, he's, me, ruled, he's ruled, but he also has, you know, one of the highest ceilings of this draft class, without a doubt. And, I mean, he has shown the potential, even, even in a small sample size. Uh, I mean, you know, just the, uh, the, the physical tools, you know, really scream – you know, potential, uh, you know, we've seen him display that, that monster athleticism, uh, you know, his, his length is, is, is unbelievable. And I mean, I think, you know, there are, there are, there are so many factors that go into the inconsistencies, you know, the, these rookies had barely any time to prepare for this season as is. And, and, you know, for the, for him to have to deal with COVID and, you know, to miss the, the vast majority of training camp now to be, you know, you know, he's missed the last, you know, five, six games, you know, it's it's difficult for him to to find any consistency, and I and I think another thing that, that doesn't help is you know they lost a safety blanket in in Marquis Chris with him going down for the year. So you know now more responsibilities fall onto him at an early stage in his career where he might have valued having you know another contributing big more. For me, as, for me, literally like as Zach said earlier. Draymond Green is perfect for James Wiseman. And honestly, this might be a stretch, but off the top of my head, I don't know any player like ever that I would rather put James Wiseman next to for his rookie year. Like Draymond Green is one of the smartest defenders, like one of the three smartest defenders in NBA history. Like he could teach him so much. And, you know, going into the draft, Wiseman, he wasn't a great defender. He was a good rim protector. But besides that, you know, he didn't bring too much value on that end. But like with Draymond Green there to be able to mentor him, I think that's going to be perfect. And Wiseman, I mean, he's really raw right now. He's extremely raw. And, you know, he just hasn't developed a feel for the game, which is something he's going to have to develop. And um, I think for a Warriors team that's trying to get to the playoffs, I'm not sure what I would do with Wiseman right now. I don't know if I would rather start him or bench him. But, I mean, Wiseman, he's shown all the flashes. He's shown all the potential. Um, Even though he's had, you know, some up and downs throughout his rookie year, I think Wiseman – his rookie year wasn't what I was, what I expected, but I still think he's going to be a star down the line. Yeah, I think one of the things oh, you that, go, you're good. okay, sorry, one of the things that I think has hurt him is for the vast majority of this year, Kelly Oubre has been god awful. I mean, he's been horrible. They've had one of the worst starting lineups in the whole league because the Warriors want to play to a certain system, and they were both new to it. Wiseman didn't have training camp. Ubre was just forcing horrible shots. If he touched the ball, he thought he had to shoot it, basically. I don't think that the I don't want to say the spacing. That's not the right word. I don't think I don't oh, I'll say spacing. I don't think the spacing on the team was best for him in order to succeed the way that people had thought in the post or mo- like on the move. But uh, now with Ubre kind of turning things around, it's interesting to I, I'm interested to see if they start him, if they bench him 
how that impacts his individual play. The thing that gives me the most hope in Wiseman is you can't teach physical intangibles like other world agility and vertical movement. What you can do is sharpen instincts and get that innate sense of what to do when the ball is in your hands and what to do without it. Draymond is literally the textbook definition of what to do with the ball in your hands and what to do without it. Wiseman, if, if he can take 10% of what Draymond is teaching him and apply it, Wiseman instantly becomes a top 15 center. And I'm, that's not like, this is me not trying to gas up how good Draymond is. This is the potential of Wiseman because his, his floor is like so mid because I don't think he can fall further than like a top 20 center if he doesn't give a single flying flip going forward. But his ceiling could very well breach that top five potential in like, say, six, six five years from now. Um, and like Justin said, Draymond is going to be the perfect individual next to a guy who has all this. It, it's silly putty. It's all this stuff that he can mold into the perfect player to help That's him win. Like the thing is, I don't think like, and this is like no offense to the character of Draymond or the Warriors going forward, but I don't think they want, you know, to develop him to be the best he could be. They want to develop him to the best where he can help them sustain longevity and win. And that's perfect because Draymond's going to take this pile of clay and turn either a defensive anchor or a post spin technician who can also swat the hell out of people because Wiseman has such good fluidity down there. Um, and, and extend their dynasty. And I think Wiseman is going to be that guy who extends it. All right. So I'm going to get into my rookie quickly. Well, actually I have two rookies. Um, it's not going to take long, you know, because these rookies, you know, they're not big names. I just want to, you know, shine light on them. Cause I think they're like not even two of the most underrated rookies in the league. I think they're two of the most underrated players in general. So uh, I'm going to start with Desmond Bain of the Grizzlies. Um, he is, I'm, Last time I checked, which was like yesterday, he has the highest three-point shooting. He has the highest three-point percentage in the entire league, like out of everyone. And it's not even like he's played like, you know, two minutes the entire season. He's getting real rotational minutes. Um, he's a big reason for the Grizzlies' success. I know they're on a losing streak right now, but like he's been consistent through all the losses, through all the ups and downs. He's been consistent. You know, he's given great defense. You know, he's been exactly what we expect him to be, an NBA-ready player. Um, a guy who's, you know, if needed, I know he's starting tonight. I don't know if he started the other games, but uh, he could start right away. You know, he could hit shots. He's a solid playmaker. He's a great defender. You know, he's doing everything you want next to a guy next to uh, John Morant. And, you know, Desmond Bain at the number 30 pick, that's such good value. And I know Scobie's so upset because the uh, yeah. Celtics could have had him. I wanna, but, I, I wanted to say this. Add him to the meme list of, of players uh, that get drafted by the Celtics and, you know, are traded. Obviously, you know, it happens before the pick. We know this. But it's still depressing because, man, I've got this entire catalogue of, of, of rookies in Celtics gear that end up going elsewhere. I'm, I'm sick of it, man. <laughs> It's funny because Desmond Bain would literally be perfect for you guys right now, especially without Marcus mm. Smart. Like, he would be so good for you guys. But, like, he's just – I mean, he's been exactly what we expected and better. And then the second guy I want to shine some light on is Jay Sean Tate of the Houston Rockets. He wasn't even drafted this year. He was undrafted in 2018. And then he went over overseas to play some basketball. And, you know, he did pretty good. And now he's in the NBA, and he's playing great for the Rockets. He's earned a starting role for them. He literally doesn't have a flaw. Actually, no, he's not a great shooter. But outside of that, you know, he's great at getting to the rim. He's really mobile. He could play and guard one through three. He plays with physicality. You know, he could 
back down big man, you know, he uses his body to advantage. He's super strong and, you know, he's great around the rim. And, you know, I think with the Rockets team, you know, they, they've taken chances on guys like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, now Kevin Porter Jr., even though he hasn't played. Um, and Jason Tate, you know, I mean, it's a guy that, you know, you pick him up, you know, he was from overseas, you pick him up for next to nothing. And if he does good, you know, he's part of your core for long term. And if he does bad, you know, you just you release him. And, you know, he's done great for them. He's 25 years old, but he's still going to be part of their core. And I just think for the next, like, 10 or so years, he's a guy that's, you know, built to have great longevity in the NBA. All right. So now we can move on to the next topic. We each made a mock trade for um, different teams around the league. So we're just going to get right into it. Mitchell, what's your mock trade? Okay. So as the resident Raptors fan, it hurts me a lot to see Larry put his house up for sale. Um, So one of the things that I think Toronto emphasizes is if we're shipping players, unlike uh, other than DeMar, we want to make sure that the players are happy where they land. Um, So I've set up a Philly trade uh, and send him home. I'm sure it would be one of the few places where he would really enjoy it. The other one would be the Clippers, but they don't have squat to give us. So the trade looks like we're sending Lowry to the Sixers, unfortunately. And just to max match salary, we'd be taking on Danny red, the Bring worst home. shooter home, uh, Mike Scott. And then we would hopefully be picking up either Thibel or Maxi. Some fans swear to Jesus that Maxi is going to become the next all time great. So I understand if our only return is Thibel and a first, but I would like Tyrese and Mattis and a first. Here's my dilemma is in my opinion, Lowry puts them at an Eastern conference final berth. I still don't think that they dance very well with the Lakers. Don't get me wrong. Love Lowry. Love him very much. He would be third slash fourth option on the Sixers you would hope that Simmons would be able to take a tertiary playmaking side, because this is just my personal opinion. I think Lowry initiating the playmaking would serve better as Simmons would be able to divert a lot more energy onto high post initiation and being able to defend the second best player. Problem is from my standpoint, I don't see what we flip Mike Scott and Danny green for. We could ship him for a contender for some late picks. Sure. Um, but this is more focusing on Thibault and Maxi, who, given Toronto's ability to develop players, could just become part of our new future core. Um, the pick is just sort of as like a cushion because, again, a lot of people downplay Lowry, but he is one of the best. As soon as he gets there, your team instantly upgrades to that next level of if you're a crappy team, you probably become a chance at a playoff team. If you're a playoff team, you make your conference finals. If you're a contender, who you just like your chances a lot more because you just got the man who is going to take five charges a game, who has a very luscious booty, who's going to space the floor a lot better for you and is quite possibly, and this is a stretch, one of the most underrated playmakers in the league today. So my, my trade to recap, Danny Green, Mike Scott, Thibault and Maxi and a first to Toronto for Lowry straight back. You could throw in Terrence Davis or Thomas just to get that spacing because Danny Green, as much as it is a meme that he can't shoot, when it counts, he can hit a couple threes for you. So, well, depends on when you, what you mean by when, when, it, you, counts, when it counts. I know I'm not going to bring up game five of the 2019 finals when he shot nine percent from three, but um, Thibault and Maxi would be the core of that, and then to match salary, Mike Scott and Danny Green. 
that's I think that is one of the places where Lowry could land where he'd be genuinely happy. But other than that, that's what I've got. I think honestly, with that move, the Sixers make the finals. As you said, I don't think they win against the Lakers. Or if the Clippers make it, uh, Jay, sit back because I know you're going to get mad about me saying the Clippers in the finals in the same sentence. But um, I know I don't think they'd beat either of those teams. But I mean, you're getting to the finals, and you have a much better shot with Lowry than you do now. And I think right now, with the core they have constructed, I think the Sixers have a, a very underrated chance at making the finals. But Lowry, like it, just boosts it even more. This could very well be the best that the Sixers ever get. This could be where they click the most. So capitalize on that now. Cause this like I, I love Embiid. He's he's currently my one B for the MVP. It's one A and one B right now. This might be as good as it gets. You can't depend on his health. You he he might get really frustrated with how things are going. So bringing in a guy like Larry, who this this is this is some undermining tampering stuff. Embiid and Lowry have like been friends for quite a while. So if you were to be able to, you know, bring in a guy where he likes, likelihood that he resigns, he's happy there, he brings you an increased chance of winning the finals. I just see that as a W for Philly and Toronto gets back rebuilding pieces. My thing with this is we, we've heard Jimmy Butler talk about it from the 2019 season is how all year Philly played one way, and that was with the ball in Ben Simmons' hands. And then Jimmy got there, and in the playoffs, Brett Brown flipped and was like, hey, we want to put the ball in your hands more. So if they were going to make this trade, they need to make it as soon as possible so they can implement and try to fit Lowry in and have him and Simmons both handling the ball a decent amount so that they don't have to you know, get to the playoffs and say, okay, we're going to flip the entire way we play. And so I think they, need to, they would need to do that. If they were going to do this, they yeah. need to do it. Here's the promiscuous part about this trade. You'd have a lineup of Lowry, Curry, Tobias. I would put Simmons at the four, but have him as a playmaking four and then Embiid. That is a death lineup, no matter what way you look at it. I'm saying like that 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 team can clamp you, shoot you out of the building. It's there for playmaking. It's there for spacing. My gripe is I don't know if Ben Simmons buys into that role. I don't know if he's comfortable with taking a, we're going to make you a tertiary playmaker who occasionally posts up, but is our transition go-to guy. I don't know how you pitch that to him. I don't know how you pitch him that a 34 year old is going to come in and take your spot basically. Like, I don't know. So here's my thing with Ben Simmons. I I don't want to go too into depth with this because like, this is like, you know, a really advanced topic. We're going to have to go into, you know, talking a lot about it. Later pause, later podcast topic. topic. I just want to say quickly, like, Unless, like, if the Sixers don't make the finals with this core, I think there is a huge chance that Ben Simmons gets traded, either from him requesting a trade because, you know, he's not happy with his role there, or with just Philly moving on, you know, saying, you know, this isn't going to work. You know, we peaked. Um, We're just not going to work with Bennett and Beat anymore. We're just going to, you know, take our chances to get someone else. I think, and if they trade for Lowry too, like, you know, Ben might not be okay with that. We don't know. So, I mean, I think – there's a good chance that unless this team makes the finals with this core that they have right now without making any Lowry trades, I think Ben Simmons could re- request a trade or just get traded in general this offseason. Yeah. But um, next up, Scoby, um, I think you're going to use the trade exception here. So let's see it. Um, no, actually, uh, I'm going to go elsewhere. So uh, I'm going to look at, at Dallas and Brooklyn here. So as we know, Brooklyn has had some serious defensive struggles since the uh, the big James Harden move. Uh, we're talking, you know, worst defense in the league type, type of stuff going on down there. 
Uh, and you know that's something they they're gonna want to address this year because that that really puts a hindrance on on uh, on their chances this year, and the window ultimately is only so large with that core. Uh, so I mean, obviously, you know, they want to add defense, you know, at the big spots and on the wings, you know, they 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 want to add that everywhere. Uh, but specifically, I'm looking at the wings here, uh, and as far as Dallas goes, you know, we've been we've seen how they've underperformed this year. Uh, and I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that they really direly need, you know, another primary ball handler because uh, Luca could really benefit from that. You know, he's a, he's a guy we know would be more efficient off the catch, you know, as a, as a, as a shooter. Uh, and really, he just needs some of those those ball handling responsibilities to go as well. So the deal I'm going to suggest, uh, you know, obviously other pieces would be involved here, but in principle, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie for Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, I think Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, obviously he's he's going to miss the rest of the year with the with the ACL injury. Uh, but in the long term, considering Dallas is, you know, already looking like a team that, that might not end up making the playoffs, they can afford to bite the bullet and have Spencer sit out a year if it means they have his bird rights and they can bring him back long term uh, and they can they can integrate him into that core. You know, we've seen them take a chance on, on injured guys before, obviously, with the Porzingis deal. So it wouldn't be anything new to them, uh, and I think really, you know, if you if you bring in Spencer and you and you give him an extension, uh, you know, the, the that could benefit them massively in the long term. You know, Spencer's a more than capable playmaker. You know, he's he's a great ball handler. Uh, I just think he'd he'd help take that that offense to a whole other level, uh, and really take some of the ball handling responsibilities away from Luca. And then you know, on the on the Nets end. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. really helps them, you know, on the wings. Uh, defensively, you know, that's 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 another guy uh, who helps them, you know, switch on the wings. Uh, he he provides great spacing. You know, he's a guy who can give you 30 on any given night. You know, he's inconsistent, but if you put him in a system where, you know, you have all of those those scorers, you know, that that's really going to take some of the pressure off him. I just think, you know, if, if, if you surround that deal with the right pieces, but have those two at the center, you could really make something incredibly beneficial for both sides with that trade. Not only does that give Mavericks like a tertiary playmaker, but Spencer can get the ball in the hoop too. That's another scoring punch that they could use. Um, point game guy. And, it, and the funny thing is like they, they're missing the presence of Seth a lot on the Mavericks this year. Not to say that Dinwiddie could replicate that, but he gives a different dimension than just another guy who can spot up and get hot. Like Dinwiddie can create and, Brooklyn has people who can create already. It's not like adding another one of that mix really elevates them. So like you said, a switchable wing who doesn't need the ball in his hands to operate and can defend into Hardaway Jr. That's, that's perfect. I think that's like, not like a lateral move, but like both teams shake on it and just don't regret the move that they made kind of thing. And I mean, I also, uh, I, I also think, you know, uh, something people definitely undervalued with Seth last year. Seth is a really underrated ball handler. Uh, you know he and and there there were stretches where you know they were they were utilizing him as a ball handler. So having Spencer come back and you know bring bring some of that back would be great for them too. I like this move for Dallas for a couple reasons. Um, one because like you said they're not they're looking like a team that could potentially miss the playoffs this year. So making a move for a guy who's injured doesn't really Im- impact them at all, or at least their their standing for this year. But next year. I think they're going to realize really fast that the way that they play and the system they run with the ball in Lucas' hands 99% of the time is not going to work. It's it's essentially just playing him like he's James Harden. And 
James Harden made a lot of great runs, but he eventually, I mean, we, we realized that he never actually got over the hump. And Dallas is going to, they're going to, they're going to realize that, that the way that they're doing it, it's, it's not sustainable and they're going to have to make a change. So getting a guy like Spencer, even though he's coming off an injury, if he, like you said, they took a chance on, on Porzingis coming off his injury and we, we have to see how that plays out. But if they do it with Dinwiddie and he comes back to 90, 95% of it, what he was, and he can take that ball handling responsibility off of Luke and he can put the ball in the cup and do all these things that he can do, it, it would, it would benefit them greatly in the long run. Well, something that something that also gives me gives me major faith in Spencer is he's torn his ACL before. This is nothing new to him, and you know the second time round for him, uh, this is going to be a considerably smoother rehabilitation process. So I have no doubt in him returning to full strength. Spencer is literally exactly what the Mavericks need, in my opinion. Like a lot of people talk about, you know, they need shooting, they need more defense, and yes, they do need a lot of that. But Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean. The Mavericks need a secondary playmaker. Luka, I mean, it's going to relieve so much stress off him if he has Spencer Dinwiddie. And also, Luka's a much better shooter off the catch, too. You know, he's not shooting great this year. Everyone knows that. So, if they could get, you know, a secondary ball handler, you know, to take some pressure off Luka, you know, get Luka in his spots at times when he needs to, I think that'd be perfect. And, you know, just to get the ball in the hoop, you know, a closer for them, which we've seen sometimes, you know, they need a closer. You know, they don't have, like, Luka, he can be the closer, obviously, but, like, it can't just be Luca. You've got to have other guys. You know, Tim Hardaway, you know, he's inconsistent. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's one of the most consistent closers in the league. So I think uh, for that reason alone, there's just no real reason for them not to do it. And then, you know, on the net side, as you said, you know, they get more offense. Tim Hardaway, he's not an abysmal defender. You know, he's he's solid. Um, it just gives it just gives them even more offense, you know, for them. I think it depends on what direction they want to go in. Do they want to get defense or do they want to just keep stacking up on the offense? And with this one, they keep stacking up. So I think that's a really good trade for both sides. Does anyone else have anything to add about that deal? No. All right, Jay, what's your trade? Oh, my bad. Who's that? What were you going to say, Mitch? I don't know. Like I was like, go ahead to the next. We're good. All right. Jay, All right, go. I, I got a blockbuster for the listeners. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and send Bradley Beal to the Denver Nuggets for Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., RJ Hampton, three first-round picks and three pick swaps. I think the Wizards are obviously wow. <laughs> they're one of they're one of the worst teams in the league. We know we know this that you know it's a lot of it's been with injuries and the COVID protocols and that, but they're not going to do anything this year. And the nuggets have not lived up to expectations either. It's time to shake it up and give them a 35 point per game score. And Bradley Beal, him and Jokic would be the best offensive duo in the league. I don't think that it's close. And I, I just think that that's a, a win for both sides. Washington gets two good young players. Michael Porter jr. Has shown flashes of like a 20 plus point per game guy. And we've seen RJ Hampton look decent too. Um, Gary Harris. He's kind of, He's not washed up by any means. He can still play, but he's not the player he used to be. So, but I think Washington getting back those picks, pick swaps and two good young players would be good for them to kind of start off a rebuild. I mean, we got a Wizards fan in here. Justin, would you take that trade or no? I would take it in a heartbeat. So like, I mean, when you look at this trade, it's it's not going to happen. We're not going to get, you know, like six first round picks for Bradley Beal plus Michael Porter Jr., but, I mean, like, if that trade were to happen, I would be so happy because, I mean, obviously Michael Porter Jr., you know, we've seen everything, you know. It's it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when, you know, when he's going to break out. And this season he pretty much has. 
But like he could be, you know, our next, you know, big player. You know, he could be. Would that be a tr- a trade that's a win for both teams? Um, it depends. If the Nuggets could win, like get to the finals or something with Beal, I think they win it. Um, but I think we definitely win this trade because you know Michael Porter Jr. As I said, we get all those picks, which is self-explanatory. But one thing that you know I really like is RJ Hampton. I wasn't too high on him coming into the draft. You know, I thought you know he didn't have much outside of his athleticism and. You know, he, he's a project. But with Russell Westbrook, I'm not saying he, RJ Hampton would be the next Russell Westbrook. But under him, you know, a guy that, you know, relies on his athleticism, you know, a lot like that. I think, you know, RJ would blossom under that. You know, he's an athletic freak. Um, he could develop into a good defender as well. And, you know, I feel like under Russell Westbrook, you know, obviously I want him gone because of that contract. But, like, under Russell Westbrook, I think that's, like, perfect mentor for him because they play in such similar ways michael porter jr is teetering on becoming the second scoring option for denver and this is no exaggeration the dude could definitely do it that would be a fleece for you guys you if you're a nuggets fan would you accept this or no 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 and i'll tell you i'll tell you exactly why because would anyone before you continue with that, we'll listen. We'll listen to that in a sec. Would anyone in here accept that? If you're a Nuggets fan, I just, I just wanted to say. I mean, I think uh, another way of looking at this is the potential of restructuring the trade scenarios so you have Jamal Murray as a centerpiece, uh, because that could, you know, considering the value of Michael Porter Jr., you know, that that's a four two. All right. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Mitch? You had your thoughts. So Porter. Okay. This is no offense to Jamal Murray, but he's not going to bounce back to bubble Jamal. And I think that's become like a parent. Um, playoff Jamal. Playoff Jamal. Sorry, playoff Jamal in the whole retrospect of that. But like Scobie said, Jamal still has value in himself. Um, I'm not saying enough to like just completely swap out Michael Porter, but I think Washington, if that trade happens, they kickstart a rebuild five years in advance. They don't have to worry about shedding through, you know, drudging for that next young player who could become the next they could say screw it let's go pick up like somebody for westbrook off of like ridiculous like they they could just throw away westbrook to the wolves for them to deal with because not timberwolves sorry i meant to say just to the wolves in general but washington gets a great return in that one michael porter could become that franchise centerpiece um the reason i see denver might do that is if they want to bank on the fact that you know Jokic has plateaued to the point where he is right now i don't think he is i think he can still make improvements um and they think that crud this core might not get it done let's bank on superstar power to get us there i i think they dance with the lakers i don't think they beat them with that you know kind of core um like like we all said gary harris isn't exactly the most steady contributor but he's still a guy who's a spark plug if you need him to um not that you can depend on that, but that's such an interesting route to look. As a Wizards fan, Justin probably swipes that trade immediately. Um, as a Nuggets fan, you step back and you evaluate, will Jamal make a jump? Will Michael Porter like show that he can be a 1B, a 2? Will Jokic plateau? You have to consider all these things, and are those picks going to be worth much in the future? Are you going to immediately drop off the next coming years and those picks will turn into good players? Or is Denver going to continue to battle around that four, five, six seed if they lose going forward? So it's an, that is a great uh, trade to consider for both teams because it's sort of like 
it's a hail mary for Denver, and it's a blessing in disguise for Washington. That's what I'll say at that. Which what you just said, it is a hail mary for Denver because I think this would be a move that could put them into it like a trading frenzy where like they trade for Beal and they don't win, and then they make another scatter, move. scatter, scatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Them into a frenzy, and then all of a sudden they've abandoned all of this that they've built up at this point, and they've got Beal and Murray and Jokic and nobody else, and they don't know what to do. So that 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 would be my take on it. Yeah, it comes an- down it comes down to whether or not they believe that a Murray. Beal and Jokic core because on paper that sounds like that could dance with the best in the West but when it comes down to it if if Jamal continues to sort of shrink in the situations where we expect him to be as big as he is if Beal doesn't like this is the other thing you could get a hold of Beal and in that Denver system might not be the 35 score he's not going to be a 35 score when he gets there but he might not even be a 30 a game guy when he gets there the whole landscape could change he might not be used to playing against or playing with a guy like Murray who kind of dances between that combo system and Ryokic is the primary like playmaker so if I'm Denver I'm looking at it as this is what we've built if guys improve is it good enough and if you say no, you go with this deal. If you say, I still believe in our youth, you you laugh at Washington's face and be like, sorry, that's not happening. I think Washington looks at it and just smiles either way. Like that that trade would they'd be like, if if they say no, oh well, if they say yes, ah. I would accept that in like a <laughs> like a half second. But um when that was what do you say, Kobe? No, don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay. Sorry. All right. All right. So, Zach, what's your trade? Okay. So, my trade is kind of interesting. It also involves Kyle Lowry. Shout out to Mitchell. Um, Let me preface by saying this. I don't think this is realistic. This is just a scenario that I came up with in my head like five minutes before we jumped on here, and I want to throw it out to you guys and see what you think. So, there's been a lot of talk about DeMar DeRozan coming home to the Toronto Raptors. But what if the Toronto Raptors shipped Kyle Lowry to the San Antonio Spurs and paired him up there? So my trade scenario is LaMarcus Aldridge and Derek White for Kyle Lowry and Terrence Davis. Throw in picks wherever you want, but that is, that's, the, that's the trading principle is those four guys. I mean, I think we could all agree that – actually, no, I'll let Mitchell talk first because he's the Raps down here. Okay. I love Derek White. I love the proposition that he brings because he reminds me a lot of like a new age, Tony Parker. He is capable of being a floor general. Like he's coming off an injury right now. So this doesn't look too good that I'm saying this, but he's capable of being a floor general. He can be a tertiary scoring option. And given the right like environment, I think he could be a sound defender Aldridge is a little too old for my liking for Toronto. Um, but I see the idea of, of like shipping Aldridge there because Jakob, oh, oh, Jakob is playing some of the best basketball. And this is to quote a man from RGC. I won't say who because this was a little offensive to him. He is the worst offensive player, but one of the most elite defensive players. And that is to a T. Jakob Pertl doesn't exactly scream, you know, make up for Aldridge's offense, but the dude can anchor a defense. And I think if Toronto were to do that trade, it would to be not as a way to build upon winning from this trade. It would to be a, this is where you want to go, Kyle. We will respect your wishes. Try to get a pick back from them kind of thing. Um, 
interesting that Taron Davis, Terrence Davis is added because I, a guy like pop um, who would look at his temperament and tell him, no, get out of here. I don't even want you could probably settle him down to like a capable two guard who just locks into his niche. And I think that would be great for the development of Davis. I just don't see the allure for Toronto to do it unless they're getting back like a first and like a protected first, like something that would be interesting. What I was thinking here, my my reasoning behind this whole trade is originally I had it written down here, but I didn't throw it out in in my original statement was that the Raptors got two seconds in return to, because just from, from the sense that Lowry is the best player right now, that's why they would get that draft compensation. So from, from the Spurs standpoint, you do this because you give Pop what he wants at heart. Pop, Pop wants to compete. He, he wants to try to build the best team possible, yeah. and Marie and DeRozan would give him that in, in you know, like the current sense. Long term, it's not the best move for them, obviously, because they're giving up Derek White, who's, who's locked up on this contract now. But from the Raptors standpoint, you're getting Derek White, who just got locked up on this contract. Yeah. So you're out Lowry, who's 30-plus, and he's probably going to walk this summer for Derek White. And all of a sudden, you have your backcourt of the future in Derek White and Fred Van Vliet. And I think both of those guys could fit together pretty well because they're both great defenders, and I think both of them can play off the ball pretty well. Talking about backcourts in that trade, I mean, look at the defense in San Antonio with DeJounte Murray and Kyle Lowry. That would be that would be something to see. My only gripe with – like, again, because Aldridge could easily just be our five until he fizzles out of existence kind of thing. Um, I would like – because we're including Davis, do you think this is a little outlandish if Vassell. Uh, Devin Vassell was added to that? Yeah. Oh, that'd very, be so nice for Toronto. That'd oh, be man. so it's, outlandish. That's... Okay. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Because <laughs> I don't think it's outlandish. They have know, so many yeah. young guys at that position. Justin, I don't know if you know the the timeline for San Antonio, but it is far and in between from a bunch of young guys to aging vets. Like like the ages between them, like Dejounte Murray, Johnson, Pirtle. Yes within those two, three years of age, but adding Lowry to that DeRozan core lets you genuinely compete as a playoff team. Yeah. Vassell is a building block for the future for them. He's 20 or 21 right now. I don't know if he's exactly going to be worked into that lineup in the given future. Cause um, you have Keldon Johnson there, Loney the Walker. Thing. Like it's kind of an awkward fit for Vassell long term. Here's, here's my thing. So, Devin Vassell, he was never someone, you know, I still don't think this to this day. I never really thought he'd be a star. Um, but I, like, he has the makings to be one of the best role players in all of basketball. Like, he could literally – he's one of, like, the three or so best 3 and D prospects, you know, coming out of this draft. And, you know, there is a log jump at the position with, you know, Keldon, with Devin Vassell. But when you have, you know, that level of talent – Tony Walker. Devin, yeah, Lonnie too. But, I mean, Lonnie could easily be inserted as, you know, the two guard there. But when you have, you know, Devin Vassell, a guy with – I think he has a very high floor. Like, I don't think Vassell will be a bad player. Like, at worst, I think he'll be, like, a Gary Harris-type player. You know, if, um, I, his shot's been falling a lot this year. You know, he's hit his shots at a high rate this year, even though he hasn't played too much. You know, he's been towards the bottom of the rotation. But he's still hitting shots. At worst, I think he's, like, current Gary Harris. At best – at best, like, I honestly see a Chris Middleton type, but I don't think he'll reach that. Realistically, though, I think he's going to be one of the best role players in basketball. And for Kyle Lowry, I mean, if the, do the Spurs have enough cap space to re-sign both this of is, them? This is the other thing, is eating if, if it's going to chip into – because Toronto has a max and a bit to work with next season. Um, White would chip into that a little bit. And Toronto has – So probably have room for a max, though. Yeah. 
Toronto here has the leverage if San Antonio would like to get that window to compete kind of thing. So if I'm Toronto, I'm, I'm offering them Lowry and Terrence Davis in exchange for the original package, just add Vassell. Because I see, and this is this is like the best situation for Pop too, because he doesn't he no longer has to worry about the log jam that he has at that position and developing young guys. He can ride out the last couple of years of his coaching career competing at a playoff level. Um, and Pop so, likes Kyle Lowry too. We've seen yeah. them together in the past, whether it's at an All Star game or the USA team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that though him and DeRozan reunited would be just really but, good for the Spurs. But I think I think you know as far as far as Pope and, and what Pope wants, uh, I think he's content competing with what they have. I mean, I, I I definitely think you know this Spurs really the last couple of years have been about finding a perfect balance of you know what Pope wants and the the future of that organization beyond Pope. Uh, and, and right now they have that balance because they, you know, they still have, you know, DeRozan and Aldridge and, and Mills and, and Gay, all these, all these veteran contributors. And the young core really is, you know, something they can build around post Greg Popovich. And I just don't think that's worth, uh, you know, blowing up for the sake of a first round exit. Mm, that's what I was going to say. Like uh, Lowry and DeRozan, you know, obviously, you know, great chemistry, great relationship. And, if the Spurs have the cap space to re-sign both of them, I think they both re-sign. But at the same time, they're not going to really go far at all. So, honestly, I would rather just keep that young core intact. Um, if you could get, you know, Kyle Lowry for, you know, the original trade, which is Derek White and LaMarcus Aldridge, I'd do that. But I don't I don't think I'd give up Devin Vassell for that. But um, I think it's time we segue into our next trade. So, Nick, what was your trade? Well, uh Honestly, Kyle Lowry's pretty popular tonight, and this one's this is another one out of left field. Uh, going back to the Nuggets, I've always thought that their biggest issue this year will be defense and then Jamal Murray regressing. So what I put together is Kyle Lowry for Gary Harris, Jermichael Green, say Bull Bull for salary, or so Toronto could take him as a project and a pick. That way you slot uh, Jamal into a more natural two-guard role. You can close out games with Kyle Lowry, Jamal Murray at the two. You still got Will Barton at the three. MPJ can be a four, and you've got Jokic at the five. That's a really lethal offensive group with enough or more defensive power than they have right now. I'm not sure it gets them over the hump, but anytime you can add somebody like Kyle Lowry to a group that just made the Western Conference Finals, you give them a better chance. Yeah, let me me comment on that quick. Um, You can go, Scobie, if you want. Oh, I, I like the I like the Lowry fit in Denver a lot purely because uh, you know of how heavily uh, Drew Holiday was was linked to them. Uh, you know, I think uh, he he fits a, a, a very different but also a um, a perversely similar archetype. You know that 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 defensive guard. Uh, you know who can who can facilitate and and you know put the ball in the basket. So I mean, I like the fit for, from that point of view, and I also do like the idea of Jamal Murray is a more natural too, because, I mean, we see his game slowly shift in that direction. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the Kyle Lowry fit for sure. Yeah, what I was going to say, um, when I proposed the, the Bradley Beal to Denver, I was also thinking of Kyle Lowry too. I think it's just a good fit because we've seen Kyle and Van Vliet can play combo guard together very well. And uh, – Jamal, like, he can play point guard or shooting guard, but I think he'd probably be better off as a two than a one. And having Lowry there, I think he'd just be a big help to 
offer more consistency to Jamal's game, take less pressure off, take the ball out of his hands more. And yeah, I just think that um, that's a win now move for Denver. I don't think that they'd want to give up Bull Bull, even though they don't play him too much all the time. His minutes are very inconsistent when he does play. I think that they still see him as a future piece in that team. So I don't, I don't know if they'd give up Bull Bull, but Gary Harris, and I think you said Jamichael Green, right? Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, maybe just, yeah, throw in like a first and a second instead of Bull Bull if the salaries work there. I want to talk about this from the Raptors' perspective. Uh, I love it for the Nuggets' perspective, but for the Raptors, I mean, I would do this pretty – I mean, it depends what other offers are on the table, but if it's just this offer, I like it a lot. Bull Bull, he would be – he would end up like the greatest player of all time with Toronto's developmental system. I know Denver, you know, their development is amazing as well, but like we've seen Toronto with guys, you know, Siakam, um, just a lot of guys. I, it's like there's – it's a huge list to name. Powell, Van Vliet, so mm-hmm. on. Oh, gee. Yeah. And Chris Boucher. Boucher. Yeah, Chris Boucher Chris was the Boucher guy I really wanted to talk about because, you know, he's, you know – He's a skinny big guy. You know, we're seeing him having a career year right now. He's kind of fallen off a little bit, but, you know, he's still been great. Bull Bull, he could be a star. Oh, that, that front court would be so fun, man. Boucher and Bull Bull. Mm-hmm. I want to hear Mitch's thoughts on this okay. because mm-hmm. he's a he's a Raptors fan. So. so the moment Bull Bull gets to Toronto, we're locking him in a room with uh, Teresa Rich, Dance Tolzman, and John Lee, who are our conditioning coaches, our development team, and our development staff. Mm-hmm. The thing is with Bull Bull, he's such an intriguing prospect. Don't even get me started on how we could utilize Michael Jermichael Green. Like that's another whole thing. But we could legitimately turn Bull Bull into a franchise center, like like instantaneously, like in two years. Easily. That mm-hmm. would pay dividends ridiculously. The only thing I would draft capital would have to be a back on that one because there is the possibility that Bobol doesn't have that ceiling. Um, okay. I I don't also like, and this is no offense to guys who are lanky, lengthy and skinny and tall. The health is not always the hundred percent bank that I can on those guys. Um, not to mention Toronto doesn't exactly have the best history with big men going down. Um, Bobol would be, I think very quickly, like the second option, the moment he got there, uh, and this is no disrespect to Stinky P, um, but Bobo seems like he could just like ignite if given the keys. And he is caught behind a rotation in one of the best bigs in basketball. So sorry, like can't really develop it initially in Denver. Um, I like the fit of Lowry in Denver a lot. And this is coming from a guy that doesn't want to see him go that bad. Uh, he would he would flourish as their primary playmaker uh, next to Jokic, like from the guard in the center position. Jamal at the two would just be so much of, of a more natural game for him. And Lowry wouldn't have to worry about like Lowry would lock in and just be like, I'm going to facilitate and I'm going to play defense against their guards. And you talk longevity for Lowry's for Lowry's career. I think playing in Denver adds another couple of years to his career. I think playing in Denver where he no longer has to, worry about a scoring load because this is the unfortunate reality of toronto right now they depend on lowry to ignite for 20 points yeah and you especially can't in the 34 year old for that i'm so sorry to lowry who it has to piggyback offense when we get to the third quarter and we can't get a split and he's the only person that scored there, there were four games this year so far where lowry 
has scored like 10 or more points in the third quarter. And the second most help he's gotten was from Alex Len when he stepped on the court for the first time for Toronto and by Malachi Flynn, who is now on our nine five roster. It, I, it sickens me to know that Lowry has all this on his shoulders. And I think Denver would like allow him to just play basketball the way he wants to do it. I mean, that Nets game the other day, Kyle Lowry's the reason why you guys won that. He made three after they, three. They poked the bear, and Lowry did not want to yep. go get, go home on that. It was fantastic. Yeah. What I'm going to say about uh, – I just wanted to say this quickly about the Raptors. I mean, Raptors fans are always saying, imagine if Chris Boucher was like 21, 22 years old. You get Ball Bowl, who is literally like exactly what you know Raptors fans mean by that. It's literally that. like the exact parallel to that. You throw so, Boucher and Bull Bull in a room in the offseason, make them get on that nice chicken steak diet. <laughs> 20 plus you, pounds. Oh, I would have made Giannis diet. That'd be so, yeah. How, uh, they made yeah. Giannis eat like 10,000 calories a day or something crazy. Oh, like if that you, to get if you bulk those boys up, that front court would be so fun. And I know Mitch, Mitch thinks the same thing. I want, I I want to take, if, if I'm ever in Toronto when this is all done, and I see Boucher, I'm going to take him to a McDonald's. I'll buy him 20 McDoubles, and I'll just be like, <laughs> eat all of these right now. Just eat them all. And you'll drive him to the nearest gym, too. I'm I don't sure care. I'll, we, we, yep. will, we will go to goddamn Planet Fitness in Buffalo I'll, for all I care. <laughs> the dude, if he could put on 15 more pounds, it would make the world of a difference. And that's, and that's something Bull Bull would be able to do. I wish he'd right. make me offer. What'd I'll you get you 20 McDoubles if you want, Zach. I got you. Closest All right. one. All right. So I'm going to segue into the last trade, which is my trade. And this might sound like a minor trade, but for me as the Wizards fan I am, it's not at all. <laughs> I mean, we literally have like the worst defense I've ever seen. I mean, we're not the worst statistical defense. That's the Kings still, I think. But we have like nothing on that end of the floor. So this trade's with the San Antonio Spurs. We're sending Ish Smith, who – He's a serviceable back. He's a serviceable backup point guard. You know, I love what he brings. You know, he brings effort every single night. He's you know a scrappy defender, but at times you know his shot selection gets a little wacky. So, there's been uh, times where he's been your third best player this year, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and there's also times, second best mm-hmm, over our Next, starting okay. point guard. Sending what his his eleventh team now. Jesus, yeah. he's been all over the place, huh? Mm-hmm. And he's only been in the league for ten, so like he's been on a new team pretty much every year. Um, so Ish Smith and Mortis Wagner, um, you know, he's, he's shown promise in some games, but other games, he's just been like flat out bad. Um, you know, he's shown offensive promise, nothing really defensively. And then two second round picks for Jakob Pertl. Um, so Mitchell said earlier, someone in our group chat said Jakob is like the worst offensive player ever, but like he's, he could anchor a defense. And that was me. I mean, like, he's literally like, I didn't want to one call of, you over saying that. <laughs> he is like one of the worst offensive rotational players in the entire league. But like his defense, it's so good. Like he's such a good defender. He's ranked as the second best rim protector in the entire league this year. Um, really? Yeah. Not in terms of like blocks or anything, but like he holds his opponents. Percentage I don't know differential at the rim. Yeah. He yeah. leads. Mm-hmm. He's, he's an amazing rim protector. Um, he could come in, he could set some screens for us. Um, but it's mainly just the defense. Like, first of all, I mean, when you look at our center rotation with Thomas Bryant going out, I mean, it's Robin Lopez and Alex Len, and I mean, no offense to them, but like, that's just that's that's unbearable almost. Um, Talk to me about unbearable rotation plays. Well, I mean, 
I would rather have Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice than Robin Lopez and Alex Len. Oh, wow. I think it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than that. Tristan. Oh, my God. Jeff I, Teague, baby. We have Raul Neto. So, I mean, I mean, Jacoperto, I mean. How about that? Let's take turns naming bad bench players. We could go all day with, with, with our team. <laughs> you guys could go all night. Jeez. <laughs> we would be here for like two more hours. But um, yeah. so Jacoperto, he's just going to come in. He's going to bring some defense. I feel like we would kind of have to overpay for him. You know, Ish Smith, Mo Wagner, two second round picks. You know, that's not really like too much. But like for Jakob, that sounds like a lot. But we need any defense we could get. There's no real guy on the trade market right now that, you know, could, you know, like transform a defense. And, you know, Jakob Pertle, he's not transforming well, I could think of one. What if Victor Oladipo ended up in Victor, Washington? I mean, I mean, like the only scenario is like Russell Westbrook, but like that would never happen. If you, no, no, no. I mean, back to Houston. just no. Um, I think for, I was going to also say this Oladipo could be nice for the Mavs. I think, I don't know. You'd probably have to throw Tim Hardaway Jr. there, right? Salary wise. Yeah. I don't know what else. Maybe like Josh Green or something if they want a, a young guy back. But yeah, I mean, hey, there's another mock trade right there. But mm-hmm. yeah, Olad, Oladipo is a guy who I wouldn't be shocked if we see move. Move around, but I just don't really know where yet. I think Miami, I feel like Miami, Dallas, is the only yeah, place. yeah, I feel like Miami. I still I think uh, I, I would bet on Miami, but I wouldn't be shocked with Dallas if that makes any sense. I think, yeah, I think I back to the, the original uh, trade proposal here. Why would Antonio do this? Because well, we, we touched yeah. on their log jam at other positions. Ready, they, they don't have like a big man. You, you want to say Jakob is that for them? And he's on an expiring, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. He's on three years. Okay, yeah, three so, years. so they have they have him moving forward. So why why do they do this for Ish Smith, who's probably going to be there for a year or two, and then he's gone, and 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 Wagner? Who, I mean, why 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 do they want? <laughs> listen, what I'll say. Listen to this. So I know I kind of trashed Mo Wagner a little, but he actually has some serious, like he has some good potential. He's not going to be some franchise guy, but like. When you watch him play, you see, you know, he's pretty mobile for a big, you know, he could shoot, he could get to the rim. He's a great finisher. And, you know, as of right now, he's definitely not better than Jakob. But, like, I feel like with the Spurs, he could develop to – he has a higher ceiling than Jakob, in my opinion, by a good amount. I mean, you said it yourself. He's, he's, he's straight up not as good as Jakob. I don't see why oh, the yeah. Spurs – He's not good. All that I got out of that was that Spanish from a biased Wizards fan. That's It's all not that biased. All right. All right, so Jakob like is better than him right now. We all know that. Yeah, Mo he, says, he says sitting in a wizard's hoodie with his name on the back. Okay, do we, we really to need to spend this much time talking about Mo Wagner and, jo- and Jakob Pearl? Let's move no, on to the don't. next topic. All right, so we'll move on to our next and final topic because no one wants to talk about my guy Mo Wagner. Um, so <laughs> you don't even want to want your damn team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're going to move on to our next and final topic. So um, this is a series we have called Over Under. So we could do that. We're going to do this with a lot of things, you know, for example. It's a very, you know, it's a very original idea. We came up with this one ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for example, I, I'll ask Scobie. Scobie, is Tristan Thompson overrated or underrated? Give your answer. Overrated, baby. All day. Okay. So underrated. That man pulls baddies. Okay, so he's underrated because of that. But, um, <laughs> so we're just going to go around the group. So ESPN, they came out with 
um, a power rankings. We're going to go around. Um, we're going to go from one to five. Um, we're going to ask if they're overrated or underrated, the teams, you know, where they have them at, things like that. So, for example, Mitchell. So the first team in the power rankings is the Los Angeles Lakers. They're at number one. Do you think they're overrated or underrated? They've gotten to a point where they have games that they just sort of coast through and it bites them in the ass in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it does. But then they flip it on again. So I think I can't like I can't call them underrated because you know that they are championship favorites. And I can't call them overrated because every time somebody has any form of criticism against them, they come back the next game and they just smack the crud out of whoever they're playing. I will say that the performance like from Davis has been overrated lately because he's been Lakers fans know. And Nick knows that AD hasn't exactly been, you know, the caveat that we know he can be. Uh, I'll give him him credit because like he is sort of shaking off the rust from, I can't remember how long he was out for with whatever injury he had. Um, I'll, I'll do that because i don't really think he was what what is what does this mean do you say he wasn't injured i think davis is using a lot of like i'm not saying he's pulling a paul george but i think davis has had a slow start and a paul george uh, paul george oh, is fake oh, here's the difference between oh, paul george one won an nba championship had 70 days off after playing in the finals hurt yeah. the other one uses shoulder surgeries from four months ago as an excuse yeah. i think that again like Rest is a is a big factor in Davis becoming like what he was, uh, and I think like it's a still a small sample size because Davis can still get back there. But I would call, uh, I can't call them any like I, I can just call them even. That is the only way I could call the Lakers right now. Yeah, All right, Scully, what about you? Uh, yeah, I think you know it's it's not really a team you can go over or under on. You know, being a one is 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 exactly where they should be. This is a team that is the heavy title favorite, and I think that's a pretty consensus opinion here. Uh, you know, we saw what they did last year, and we saw them improve on you know on every level. Uh, and you know, even if there are questions about Anthony Davis, you know, I think like many players this season, he's a guy. Who is going to benefit massively from that mid-season break? Because that could be longer than people think with a lot of the rescheduling. Uh, I think, you know, come playoff time, you know, he'll be the Anthony Davis, you know, who's sitting on, you know, all NBA teams. Uh, you know, I think the Lakers will be fine and they're, they're the heavy title favorite right now. All right, Jay, we already know what you're going to say. So what about you? Underrated, baby. League of their own. That's an Underrated? I Yes, I don't sir. even think that's possible. The fact that they're even being ranked with these other teams is a crime. Like you, you, they should be number <laughs> one, put a lock beside it for the rest of the year. You can get that key and unlock it. If LeBron or AD go down, no matter of fact, only if AD goes down, but as long as they're healthy, I don't want to see you re-rank number one. It's the Lakers and you can rank two below after that. I don't um, even think my bad. You can go. No, I, all I have to say is like, I've watched LeBron since 2010. This is arguably the best basketball I've seen him play. It's the least amount of minutes. He's just, he's getting better every single year. I wouldn't say like it's the best version of him, but it's the most complete version of him. If that makes any sense, you know, he's, he's got that three point shot up percentage wise and attempts all again with the least amount of minutes he's played. I think that come playoff time, that team's going to flip a switch and it's going to be like scary for other teams. Look at their depth, adding Trez and Schroeder, guys like that. 
I just, there's no team that can even push the Lakers to more than like five games, in my opinion. All right, Zach, what about you? Uh, I mean, I don't want to just like repeat what everybody else said, but I think everybody else already covered it. I think I think they're properly rated. This isn't a team that you can say they're over underrated because everyone's picking them as the title favorites, and I deserving of that title as of now. So until they show us otherwise, I don't think we can move them up or down. If they can't go up, I don't think we can move them down. All right, next, our Lakers fan, Nick. You think they're over or under? I think that they're in terms of rankings. They're, you know, obviously appropriately rated, but I think they have a much higher ceiling because, like we said, AD's been – he's missing a second game tonight with Achilles issues. He's had issues with it all year. Um, whenever you hear the word Achilles, it's scary, obviously, because you look at KD and, you know, guys like that who have torn their Achilles. You don't want that to happen, obviously. So, for me, I have no more issues or concerns about AD being the 30 and 10 guy he normally is in the playoffs. He will get back to that. It may not be exactly 30 and 10 because, you know, we now have Trez and Dennis to score where last year we didn't. He may be at like 26, 27, but he's going to be Anthony Davis. He's a top five player when he's healthy. The playoffs last year showed that. LeBron, like, like Jay said, this I'm willing to go as far as to say this might be the best version of LeBron because the IQ is much higher. The three he's added a legitimate three-point shot. He's shooting what 40% on at one point it was seven attempts a game. I mean he was chucking them like crazy. I don't know if it's still that high, but he's still at 40%. Um defense hasn't really taken that big of a step back. He's still if you need to get a stop, he's still one of like the five best options for a game winning stop in my opinion. Um He's just on another level. I don't, I don't, I, again, I think he's becoming the runaway MVP favorite. Obviously, that's a little bit biased, but I don't think it's biased. I think that's fair. I don't, I, right, I'll just, my bad. You go. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to weigh in on the MVP on that one. That's just I'm not going to touch that one. We'll leave that for, for another we'll, day. We'll leave that for when John gets on. <laughs> All but right. I just, I just don't think this. I'm not going to say that no team's going to push them past five. I think the the team that has the best chance of beating them is the Clippers. I think that's a six, seven game series. But other than that, I don't see anything. Dude, the past Clippers six. will not even threaten the Lakers. Like I'm not saying they'll threaten them. I'll say they'll give them the best I'll, chance at I'll being be, threatened. I think, and that's right. it. Look, let's no let's not get into the whole into the whole uh, Clippers Lakers conversation that could go on for hours. We'll, we'll save that one yeah. for another. Bit. I don't know why it could. Honestly. All right. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna make this quick. Uh, we pretty much went over everything about the Lakers. They're literally like the perfect spot. Uh, they're not underrated, like Jay. Uh, Jay said, they are. They're in the perfect spot. And I mean, there's nothing really to add here. I mean, Anthony Davis, as Kobe said, he's gonna be massively benefited by that. Um, by that break uh, in the All Star break. Uh, yeah, they're perfectly rated. So now onto the second ranked team the utah jazz 16 and 1 their last 17 games mitchell over or under okay oh this is the problem cuz i'm going to go with under at this point um because last year i had my like this is stupid of me to have my doubts over a guy who shares my same name but mitchell ha- kind of had me spotty i didn't i didn't know if he could flip that switch and get to the next level in the playoffs. I'm not saying the bubble was an anomaly, 
Uh, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if he gets to that extent, but so far he's looked great. When Rudy, you say underrated, do you mean power ranking wise or just they're not I getting think, enough okay. hype? I think that now that they're getting the media attention, it's kind of ridiculous because they've been like, oh, the next, like the past five in a row, it's like, oh, you guys are so great. It's like, well, where were you for the last five? Where were you for the four before that? Like, I, I agree that where they are, number two, like I'm going to switch up on what I said. Number two is a little overrated because I don't think they're going to sustain the second best team in the entire league. But you, I, like I had to wake up and realize that Donovan Mitchell is here now. He's not, you know, going through the slumps. He's not working it out. I think he's here and he's arrived at where he's going to be. The fact that Rudy is helping on offense now is like an eye opener for me. Yeah. Let's talk about Rudy Gobert's game, man. Like, Oh, we don't have to go too in depth. Like this year there's been, there has been some flashes where he hasn't looked amazing, but for the most part, he's been, he's been great. Don't even get me started on how Bobby's been next to him. Cause like, Oh, like like Utah has finally got like a cohesion where they look like they can play as a team and not just sparks of here. Clarkson, oh my goodness, the dude has been insane for them. So I think that where they're where they're listed right now is overrated, but don't sleep on Utah making some moves in the playoffs is all I'm saying. Scoby, what about you? Over or under? Uh I think power rankings wise, right now that's appropriate. Uh, I think generally by the greater NBA fan base, they're, they're, they're underrated uh, because this system is sustainable. Uh, I, I definitely think it's sustainable and they have the personnel to to, to make sure that happens. Uh, I mean, there just aren't many holes in this team, really. You know, they're, they're well coached. The roster is deep. You know, you've got a six-man candidate. You've got your clear-cut guy and Mitch. Uh, you know, Rudy Gobert is, you know, oh, my God, you know, he's, he's just one of the elite bigs. Uh, you know, Bogey is really hitting his stride right now. Uh, you know, Mike Conley has, has been a revelation for them uh, in year two of, of his Jazz tenure. You know, there were a lot of questions with, with Mike last year because he came out struggling. But, I mean, we saw, you know, uh, especially in the bubble, you know, we really saw him get going. And he's one of those guys, but, you know, that wasn't a bubble fluke. You know, Mike Conley is that guy. Uh, you know, he he takes a lot of a lot of pressure off of, you know, off of Donovan Mitchell. Uh, and, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's massive for them. And the fact you see the Jazz, you know, the fact you see the Jazz winning games without him right now just tells you how sustainable this offense is because they shoot so many more frees than they did now. Uh, and as long as they keep firing, uh, and you know, as long as they keep putting pressure on 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 the opposing offense, you know, they're going to keep this up, and uh, they're going to be scary. All right, Jay, what about you? Over or under? For the Jazz, I would say that they're they're just right. I mean, now we see them getting that media attention more. If they weren't getting it, like they were maybe ten games back, then I would say that they're underrated by you know the majority of the NBA fans. Right now, I'd say that they're just right. They're 16 and one in their last 17 games, which is just remarkable. I don't know when the last time that's been done. I mean, the Warriors probably did it in there. Toronto. They did? When was that? Last year. And the okay, year there, we that. there we <laughs> go. There we go. Frauds. There we go. That answers my question. But um, yeah, they've just been the hottest team in the league so far this year. It's just been really fun to see. I think that they're 20 and five right now, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell is. Yeah, he's elevated his game again. Um, ever since his rookie year, he just added little things to his game. Whether it's scoring more efficiently, 
finding better spots on the floor, getting others involved. He's just been a fun player to watch for me this year. And, yeah, that's why I think that they're even, I guess you could say. All right, Zach, over or under? Well, the other guys have touched on this. This this question over or underrated is kind of subjective. It, it depends on how you interpret the question. Are they are they over or underrated in terms of their ranking at second in this power rank based on, their, based on their play right now, or do we really think that they're the second best team in the NBA? So in terms of this ranking, I think I think they could be number one based on how they've played right now because they have the best record in the league. They're 20 and five at the time of this recording. They've won 16 out of their last 17 games at the time of this recording. They're the hottest team in the league. So if this, if this list is made on play right now, they could be number one. So from that aspect, I would say they're underrated or properly rated. We can acknowledge that a team is having a great season and also be realistic about their season. So if you're looking at this list in terms of championship contenders, best teams in the league, number two, I would say that they're overrated in that that aspect because I don't think that they could beat the Clippers in, in a seven-game series realistically. I mean, it could happen. Anything could happen in the playoffs. I think last year taught us that. But um, I think if we're, being, if, if we're being – if we're just talking about this list, I think that they're properly rated or, or underrated at the number two spot. All right, Nick, what are your thoughts? Zach said it perfectly. Um, it's just – like he said, they can have a, they can be a good team, have a fun season, while acknowledging that unless the Lakers and Clippers get matched up on the same side of the bracket, they're not a Western Conference Finals team to me. So uh, I think in terms of championship contention, they're probably like the five six range. You know, obviously beneath the LA teams, uh, Philly, Brooklyn, and uh, uh, Milwaukee. So. I would have them six in that sense, so they're overrated in that. But, again, it's subjective how you interpret it. Zach summed it up perfectly. Mm-hmm. For me, I mean, like, as of right now, like, for the season, I think they're underrated. Like, for the season, I think they've been the best team. Um, but as a whole, as of right now, I think they're overrated. Um, you know, like, I think this team, they have all the makings to be. You know, I think they're a top-five team in the entire NBA, like, generally. But I don't – think you could put them over the Clippers, you know, the Sixers, Bucks, Nets. I don't. I would take all those teams over them. But what I will say about the Jazz, I think they're one one more wing away uh, from being true championship contenders, a wing that could knock down shots, play some great defense for them. I think they're one of those away from being able to truly, like, actually compete. And, you know, like, we don't really see teams a lot, you know, go far without a superstar. I mean, last year, I mean, you can call Jimmy Butler a superstar if you want. I wouldn't say that. But other than that, like, we really don't see that. But this Jazz team, like, they have all the makings to do it without a superstar. Like, the way they play basketball as a unit, uh, they have, in my opinion, three guys who should be all-stars this year in Conley, Mitchell, Gobert. Uh, they... What? What? Discussion for a different day. Yeah, that's know. a discussion. That's a discussion for our all-star pod. Uh, but I think they have three all-star caliber players. You know, they have a legit eight guys right now on this roster. And I think if you just put, like, one more wing on that team, I think they could legitimately – I don't think they would win the title or even make the finals, but I think they could be in that realm of that um, perspective. But as a whole, I mean, they're still overrated right now because they haven't gotten that last piece. But for this season, they're underrated in my opinion. For the number three team, the Los Angeles Clippers, Mitchell, over or under? Ah, the thing is with the Clippers is like Nick has said, they're a team that could take the Lakers to six or seven games. Not saying that they would like, you know, topple them, 
but they're a team that could make that a competitive series. They've had some blips, but Kawhi and PG have come out and looked like they finally figured out how that duo works. I would say under, if I'm being 100% honest. Um, the role players haven't been crazy at times. Batum has been insane for them. Like, I did not expect this out of Batum at all. Um, no knock on Beverly, but he's been more of a, you know, foul hunter than, you know, defensive stud for them when he's been in. Um, but yeah, Kawhi and PG has made it click. And I think, like, I, I know genuinely speaking that they should be the LA team should be the one and two in the West, but I think underrated right now. That's where I'll leave it at. Scoby, what about you? I think uh I think a lot of it is gonna is 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 really gonna come down to Paul George, uh as it has, you know, wherever he's been year by year. Uh, you know, if he can finally break, you know, the playoff curse and produce at that all-star MVP level in a postseason environment. Uh, if he can do that, then, yeah, this is a team that is legit and this is a team that is appropriately ranked because we've seen, uh, you know, that that team has, has figured it out. You know, the year two, you know, this this team has really found how they can uh, play to one another's strengths and uh, and complement each other in the long term. But I think once again, it's just going to come down to to Paul George and and his ability to sustain, you know, number two on a championship contender type production in a postseason environment. Nick, what about you? Let me preface this with: it's really hard to give them any credit because. Uh... Uh, excuse my language, but fuck the Clippers. Um, I said it earlier. They, they, they can push the Lakers. I think that they actually probably have a chance to win that series. I mean, obviously every team has a chance, but they have the best chance. Um, the reason why I'm actually concerned about them this year as opposed to last year, because they are shutting up and playing. Like they're not running their mouths. You don't have Pat Bev and Marcus Morris making fun of people on the sidelines for missing free throws. Um, the media is not really crowning them like they did last year. You don't have Kawhi with his little crown dangling off his car keychain. They're just they're playing basketball. So I think when you look at the the grand scheme of things, they're the second best team in the entire league. So I think they're underrated in that sense but um and like for this ranking they lost to the nets they lost to the kings that's probably pretty accurate for them all right zach over or under for the clippers do i not exist no you got moved down on my thing you're going next <laughs> okay uh i think that, i think they're underrated from the from the like from what uh because there's there's not as much attention on them this year and that's how it should be with this team they don't want to be playing in the spotlight. They don't want to have all eyes on them every single game they play. And it still kind of is because every time they lose, they get slaughtered on social media, but that is what it is. But like Nick said, they're, they're shutting up and they're playing basketball. And Mitchell touched on the Batum acquisition. That's been huge for them. Um, this is just a really well-constructed team, I think. And, and Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard seem like they figured it out. They're both playing at an MVP level, but neither of them are going to be in the MVP race realistically because they'll just take votes away from each other because they're both spectacular. Um, I think the biggest thing for this team has been Ty Lue, though. The offense just looks like it flows so much so much better. There's there's not as many ball stoppers out there. The ball's constantly moving. 
Paul George has the ball in his hands more, and he's the pure hoopers. The pure hoopers. The pure hoopers. Queen has he splash. Queen has he splash. That's what they needed. Paul George has the ball in his hands. He's he's taking on a playmaking duty for the team. Him and Kawhi really, and they're they're just playing really really solid basketball. I think and. And, and that's how it should be. They just need to play basketball, fly under the radar, and then when the playoffs come around, if we get to see the Lakers and the Clippers, I think all bets are off in that series. It could go six, seven games. Either team wins, I think, realistically. Here's the only thing that I, I want to say. Um, I'm sorry, two things. Number one is, like we've talked about, you and I both said, they don't have any spotlight on them. I worry about in the playoffs when that does come because we've seen Paul George fold under that spotlight how that impacts him with all those expectations placed on them again. Um, and then number two, they're like for everything Ty Lue's done for the offense, he's taken away from the defense. Like they're de- they were top. I think they were one of the only two teams last year, them and the Lakers that were top five in both offense and defensive rating before the bubble. Right now, if you give me a second to pull it up, my MacBook's being slow. They are second in offense behind the Bucks. And 14th in defense. I mean, the defense has taken a hit. So that is a little concerning in terms of title contention. But again, they're still the second best team in the league. So if they can figure that out, then who knows what happens. See, I, I don't I don't like to read too much into ratings like that because at the end of the day, if, if they're performing on offense, they just need timely stops and they have the personnel to get timely stops. They've got got Paul George they've got Patrick Beverly Marcus Morris Serge Ibaka Zubac at the rim they've got all these guys to get time to get the time and stops that they would need in a playoff setting right all right Jay now it's your turn so over or under for the Clips overrated they are they are not the third best team in the league <laughs> they the Lakers are better the Jazz are better and I, I would probably say that the Bucks are better too Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I think, um, yeah, they, they're they not making it out of the West. There's not a chance. Um, There's not a chance is pretty extreme. There's zero chance unless LeBron gets injured. You're you more know, of a, you're more you, biased. No. You're more biased towards the Lakers than Nick is, and you're not even a Lakers fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm just trying to say, I don't, I don't believe that they're the th- – if you want to say that they're the fifth best team, then sure, that's even, but – they are not the third best team in in the league, in my opinion. I just think they're playing like they're playing good this year. You got to give them credit for that. But I still think that they depend too much on Kawhi. And I know what I know what PG has done this year, numbers wise. But we saw what happened against the Mavs when Kawhi wasn't playing. And I know that that's only one game. But in the playoffs, Kawhi isn't going to be on the floor for forty eight minutes. And if he has one off game. I'm not. I'm not convinced that PG is going to be able to step it up and lead them to a win against a team like the Lakers or the Nuggets or the Jazz. So, yeah, I just I think three is a little high personally. For me, for this season, I mean, I think three is a fine spot. I mean, I, I'd have the Jazz at one for this season. Lakers, Clippers, you could swap. I mean, it, I mean, they're pretty much even for this season alone. Generally speaking, I think they're underrated. I think they're the second best team in the league. Um, Jay, you were talking about. Um, you don't think that, um, like, if Kawhi, he's not going to play all 48 and he has one off night. You don't know about Paul George. Honestly, I do think this is Paul George's year for the playoffs. Like, I know, like, every year it's like, oh, well, Paul George. He That's what he tried to tell me in the bubble, too. He, I never said that. 
Yeah, but did. he said a lot of people are like before the playoffs, he might bounce back. You know, he might do this. He might do that. This year, I feel like his main priority is bouncing back when it matters most. I think he'll do that. I'm not going to get too in-depth. Um, Tyron Liu, he's one of the coach of the year candidates, in my opinion. This offense has flowed so much better under him. And this is just a better team than last year. Uh, when Tyron Liu looks down the sidelines and sees LeBron James on the other team, he's going to poop his pants, man. <laughs> Really that's coached. it. Like, that's Literally. it. All right. What were so, you going to say, Zach? What were you going to say? Yeah, I was for Try again. Move closer to your mic. Why, why, why is he pooping his pants? Because LeBron's, LeBron's his daddy, man. He's the only reason that Ty Lue has a job. So that's why. That's why. All right. Let's all right. It. So – all right, so uh, the number four team, the Philadelphia – Matter of fact, before we move on, you take AD off the Lakers, they'll still win the finals. Okay, all right. Well, we're not even going to talk hey, about hey, that. Hey, hey, we, hey, won't hey, even, hey. we won't even talk about that. For number yeah, have four, you seen, uh, no, have you seen what the Detroit Pistons do to the Lakers when, when, when AD isn't playing? Have you, have you seen what happens in those games? Who's next, Josh Philly? Jackson. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Philly at number four, number one seed in the East. Mitch, under, un, uh, over or under? Um, all right. So in the hypothetical world that, you know, Philly sustains this and bead goes on for his MVP trick. I think that this is perfect where they are. Um, because Embiid has made these strides. He's healthy. Now we know what he's fully capable of and it's fantastic to see. Um, I do still think they're a piece missing Kyle Lowry over the hump, uh, to really get them there. But I think fourth, like especially with how they've been playing lately, how Embiid's been playing lately, it's really reasonable. Um, not to mention Tobias Harris is finally looking like Tobias Harris again. Uh, not to say that he's going to be the difference maker, but he's still like an incredible guy for them. He's been playing not to expectations, but just like, he, he's approaching that line, and I think that's great for them. Um, you know, the cave- the caveat to all that is you know Simmons looking a little less staggered than even his rookie season. Um, he's, and this is going to hurt John for him to hear. Uh, Cause you know, he's totally going to listen to this segment from me. He's not going to just turn it off, but Embiid is looking like the guy that I'd want to rain, t- like retain out of the two of them. If the like future were to happen and no offense to Simmons, man, but you know, while that trade value is going up, I would ship it out while I can kind of thing. So I think four right now, they're perfectly solid for there. Scobie, what about you? I don't want to give Philly any credit, man. I'm a Celtic fan, <laughs> but this is, this is unbiased opinions unless your name is Jay. Um, so let, Come let, on, let, man. <laughs> all right, so, I mean, I, I like the Sixers. You know, I, I'm, I'm as, um, as much as I dislike the franchise, I'm a big Embiid fan. Uh, and I think, you know, what he's, what he's shown this year, you know, he's been capable of that for a while, and you could see the frustration boiling uh, when we swept their asses out the playoffs last year. Um, but, you know, Philly, you know, credit to Philly and, the, and that new uh, rebranded front office. They've, they've put the pieces together, you know, uh, you know, as, as much as we can, you know, throw question marks at Ben Simmons, you know, that, that roster is incredibly well constructed. It is deep. Uh, you know, they have a very diverse uh, level of talent, you know, as far as age range is concerned, uh, you know, the, the young pieces and, and the veteran compliments uh, are, are a very, are a very good pairing. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out the East. I really wouldn't. 
you know, I think this is sustainable, uh, and I think there's there's definitely a move to be made for Philly by the deadline. I, I, I'm not sure if we're looking at you know the final products, you know, considering uh, how active uh, Daryl Morey can be. Um, so you know, I think right now, you know, they're they're adequately placed in, in those power rankings. Zach, what do you think? Uh, again, like I said on, on when we were talking about the Jazz, this this is subjective. So in terms of this list, based on their play this year, I think they've absolutely earned this number four spot. They're the, they're the top team in the East, um, record wise, and the way that they've been playing, the way that Embiid's been playing, the way that the Rockers instructed, as, as Scopey just mentioned, they they've got a good thing going here, and I, I think they're on a good, they've got a good direction here that they're going, but. Uh, in terms of do I think they're the best team in the East? Because that's what we would be saying that they are right now. Because we've named three West teams, one through three. This would be the first East team named. And come playoff time, I don't think they're the best team in the East. Mm-hmm. I would have them number two behind the Nets. I'm, I'm probably alone with that because I know a lot of people don't like the Nets. But uh, in terms of this ranking, if we're just talking about how they've played this year, I, I would say this is properly rated. All right, Jay, what about you? I think that they're a little overrated. That's no hate on what Embiid has done and what Tobias Harris has done. Um I'm a huge Ben Simmons fan. I love Ben Simmons game, but he's taken a step back this year. I mean, the defense is there. It is, but the offense, it's just scary. You know, it seems like the expectation from everyone this year, especially has been Ben may bring his offense to the next level. No one was saying he'd have a 40%, you know, three point shooting, but everyone kind of thought he could maybe show it a little bit, become more aggressive. Like we saw bits of in his rookie year but he just has kind of taken a step back. I don't know. Scobie can kind of give me his opinion on this, but I'd probably take, I would take Boston over them in a seven game series. I don't know. Would you, you're you're a Celtics fan. I'm I'm a very pessimistic Celtic fan though. uh, In general, you know, uh, historically, I mean, well, let's talk recent history. You know, it it always seems we we've had the edge regardless of roster construction, uh, but there's just way too many question marks with Boston this year. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, healthy, we can match up, but Kemba's play style uh, can be can be difficult to, uh, to, to, to work into that offense in a playoff environment. Um, and I'm just, I'm just like, ju- just in, just, you know, from the, from the matchup, from the matchups we've seen, you know, I, I think I'd probably put my vote of confidence in Philly as much as I hate to say it. Uh, although, you know, I, I definitely, much as I don't think this is the final version we see of Philly, you know, I think there's there's moves to come with Boston for sure. And, you know, I, I say that hesitantly because I say that every year and nothing ever happens. Um, but, you know, with, with the trade exception, you know, I don't think we're looking at, at, the, at the final... Uh, Danny Ainge masterpiece here so um, you know I think uh, you know a lot could change but right now sure that's a series that could go six to seven because we have the offensive firepower to do so Uh, but the depth is certainly important and how the hell do we contain Joel Embiid I mean you didn't contain him you didn't contain him last year and you still swept them but this year their roster you know the last year you know Tobias Harris was inconsistent you know, Ben Simmons didn't play in that series. Uh, you know, the roster is so much better. We've and, also seen Doc Rivers in the playoffs, though, not live up to his expectations as a coach. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, Doc Rivers hasn't isn't the coach people think he is, um, you know, and he hasn't been for a while. 
but I just think overall that you know Philly, Philly just they have a, a lot of edges you know in, in areas where we are weak right now. Yeah, I I personally would still take Boston over Philly. I'd take the Bucks and I I'd take the Nets too. I think um, Philly's a better team this year than they were last year. You can't deny that at all. Um, that comes with. Yeah, I know you you just said yourself that uh, Doc Rivers isn't the coach people think he is, but come on, he's better than Brett Brown. So, yeah, in that aspect, I think Philly is, like, in terms of the regular season so far, sure, if you want to put him at four, you can. But if I'm looking as a consumer, as a fan, uh, every team, I could name more, like, I could name a bunch over Philly, personally. Like like I said, the Nets I would take in the East. I would take the Bucks. I'd take the Celtics. Who knows what Miami's going to look like by playoff time. And I mean, if you're talking overall power rankings, I would take Utah, both LA teams. So yeah, that that's like what? Seven teams right there. I'd take over Philly. And that's I no mean, hate. That's no hate either. I, I love Joel and I love Ben Simmons. If you, if you, if you just going back to, to Boston and Philly, if you, if you want to go hate to head there, you know, and say the Celtics can, can match up to, you know, to that team, you know, as far as, uh, you know, roster roster looks go uh you know brad stevens is capable of out coaching you know uh doc rivers for sure i mean we saw that that chess match uh of you know of brad stevens and nick nurse last year um you know that's definitely something to consider uh because you know hopefully brad stevens is going to have a, a better deeper rotation come playoff time too and we know Kem, like Kemba hasn't looked himself so far in the few games. Yeah, he, he hasn't looked himself, you know. The, the, yeah. we're, we're past that now. He hasn't played a – he's played one good game this season. Yeah, but with that being said, you know, in a seven-game series, Kemba's going to have at least one Kemba game. And is Jaylen, he? Yeah, he is. And Jalen Brown has I taken – so I know Scobie loves Jalen Brown. You can't deny the, the steps that Jalen's taken in his game either. Like, it, normally in the past – you could slow Jalen Brown a bit, Jalen Brown down a little bit if you're like someone like Ben Simmons guarding him. But now I don't think that he can be slowed down. I think he's going to get 25 plus on anyone in front of him. So I think yeah, but I think, I think Jalen and Jason can still both get their numbers, and we still, you know, we still fall short because we've seen that a lot this year. Just you know, in Celtic games in general, you know, we've seen those two get their numbers, and just the the rest of the roster is. It's such a failure to those two guys. Uh, you know, it, it makes you question how far they can go. For yeah, me, but uh, I guess but... it all. Yeah, you're you're the Celtics fan. You watch the team way more than I do, so I'll take your word on that. But personally, I'm just saying for myself, I would I would still take Boston, which I don't think I, is too like outlandish. It. Like, I think there's definitely a debate to be had there. Yeah, it's not outlandish. It's not outlandish. That series could go either way. I'm just going to be yeah. pessimistic because I don't want to, you know, kill my. Hopes and dreams. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, um, for this season right now, I think uh, the Sixers are perfect at four. But generally speaking, I mean, for me in general, like just for me, I think the two LA teams, I think they're the top two by a pretty good amount. And then for three, it's between the Bucks, it's between the Sixers, the Jazz, the Nets, uh, Celtics. And I think the Heat, they're going to get back under their feet. And I think they're going to get back to that. Obviously, right now, they're not the third best team in the league, but I think they'll get back to that. For me, it's 3A, 3B with Milwaukee and Philly. Um, But I'm going to say just right, because I think I'd give Milwaukee the slight edge because for Philly, I think there's a lot more ifs than Milwaukee because, I mean, Embiid, he's going to be Embiid. I'm confident in that. But, I mean, 
like Ben Simmons, you know, he's hard. Like you don't know what he's going to be really doing. Uh, his offense is just like it's it's hard. Like I don't think you could really go f- to like win an NBA championship with that um, with that level of offense in your starting lineup. If you, you get what that means, but um, that's a big if. Ben Simmons is a big if. Um, and also, I think it boils down to you know since Ben Simmons you know lacks offensive you know creation really outside of on-ball playmaking. Since he lacks that, I think it's going to come down to a lot of guys stepping up. You know, Tobias Harris, he stepped up big time for them. Back to, you know, Clippers Tobias Harris. I think he's going to have to sustain that for the playoffs. Who knows? I think he will. But, you know, Seth Curry, ever since COVID, he's kind of slowed down a little, which was kind of inevitable because he was shooting on crazy splits. But I think he's going to have to, you know, he's still playing good. I think he's going to have to get a little better, though. I think he's going to have to be like a 15-point-per-game guy. Uh, Shake Milton, I think he's going to have to sustain this level of play. He's kind of dropped off a tiny bit, but I think he's going to have to give, you know, around 15. I think they're going to have to rely a lot on those guys to make up for um, Ben Simmons, who you could the defense could literally leave open on the perimeter. And Ben Simmons, he has to become more aggressive if he wants to make it far. If all those things happen, I think they do make it out of the East, but that's a lot of ifs, and, you know, I don't think all of them actually will happen. So I'm going to say just right at four. I'll put Milwaukee one spot higher. And speaking of Milwaukee, we have our final team, the Bucks at number five. Mitchell, are they over or under? I got to immediately go with under because we know – we know what the Bucks are capable of now with like the short, like we like Drew has opened up so many more dimensions for them. Um, Middleton's again, I think he's another 50, 40, 90 club member this year. Um, or maybe like by like a 0.04 percentage. Nah, he's there right now. Oh, he's there. Right there. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like the, like the consistency between Milwaukee is, or like with Milwaukee, even adding to their core right now is just been phenomenal. Um, I think don't like, flambe me for this one but i think they're becoming sort of like under the radar for an eastern team because they're not getting a lot of immediate attention the, i think the voters fatigue for Giannis's mvp campaign is catching up to him um a lot of people are just like yeah he gets his numbers we know um but they're looking like a team that again like i would put not to say that they're in the same tier of brooklyn because i think brooklyn's going to shake shake the barrel a little bit in terms of acquisitions but Milwaukee's definitely, like, for the most part, a team I would put above Philly. I know Philly looks better right now, but I would definitely put Milwaukee in that upper echelon, so I'd say underrated. Scobie, what about you? Oh, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, it's weird to say the Bucks can go under the radar, but they have in a very perverse way uh, because the East, is, the East is so much better than it was last year, uh, and I think they've kind of got caught in that you know uh that that whole evolution um no i i mean you know yanis hasn't you know gone anywhere you know this is still an mvp guy chris middleton improves on a year-by-year basis he's become that team's best facilitator uh you know he's expanded his game on, on so many levels year in year out um you know of course uh drew holiday has been an unbelievable addition for that team uh you know, he's got oh, so much better than, than Eric Bledsoe. Um, and he, you know, he's going to he's gonna make a real difference, uh, you know, in the playoffs because that, that was where Eric Bledsoe was their biggest hindrance uh, or as, as Terry Rosier would call him, Drew Bledsoe. Uh, but, you know, he consistently in the playoffs, he, he underperformed uh, and that really hurt them, uh, you know, in the big moments. Uh, and I think that that, that change alone is going to be huge. And, you know, the depth, 
the depth isn't i mean you know you can you can make arguments for whether it's as good as it's been uh but i mean i think guys like bobby portis uh you know especially him you know he came out guns blazing this year looking like a six man of the year candidate and you know even if the even if the stats don't scream that he's he's still definitely got a case um uh, i mean he's been great for them you know i, I like the addition of brim forbes you know dj augustine hasn't been uh hasn't been what they wanted him to be but but we all know what he what he'll do in game one of the playoffs um you know this is this is a team that is more than capable of making it out the east and i wouldn't be surprised if they were to do so uh you know i think they're they're tired of, of falling short and i think drew is really a piece that puts them over the edge so uh you know underrated slightly zach what are your thoughts uh, I think in terms of this list, I think they're properly rated. I would probably put them behind the other four teams that they're ranked behind. Um, I think a lot of people are counting them out, like the other guys have mentioned, because just just because of their past downfalls. You know, the past couple of years, we've seen them fall short of their ultimate goal. And I think this team is going to go as far as Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can take them. I think them putting the ball in those guys' hands as opposed to using Giannis like he's LeBron and that's not how he should be used. Giannis is a big man at the end of the day. He should be used more like a traditional big man. Not not like completely. Obviously, you want the ball in his hands some because he can put the ball on the deck and attack. He can put the ball on the deck and create for others. But you can't just have Giannis dominating the ball and attacking the rim and running into a wall nine out of ten possessions, you know what I mean? So I think having the ball in Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday's hand and having those guys creating and hitting shots, if they can hit – if sorry, if they can hit shots, that's, that's a big question mark because we've seen Chris Middleton – you know, come up short a couple years in a row now. Um, he had a couple of good games last year, but he hasn't really been the co-star that he needs to be for this team. But if those guys perform, I think I think that I think these these guys can go as far as they want to go. I think they can make an Eastern Conference Finals run. I think they could push whoever they play and eventually make the finals if if everything goes goes right for this team. Jay, what do you think? I think this is the best team that Giannis has been surrounded by. I think we can all agree on that. If there's a year for the Nets to, or for not, not the Nets, sorry, my bad, the Bucks to, you know, get out of the East, I think it's this year. But yeah, with that being said, I'm going to have to say that they're a little underrated. I'd probably just switch them in Philly around. If you're sticking to these five teams, I would have, uh, yeah, the Bucks above Philly, just because like Philly, right, rightfully so, is getting a lot of media attention right now because of the way that Embiid's been playing way that they've been playing, I guess, as a, as a whole team too. Um, but yeah, Giannis, I think Mitch said this too. Uh, the narrative last year was this man's going to be a back-to-back MVP. And now it's like, whether he's putting up 30, 15 and five with a steal and a block or whatever, like there, people are just going to say, okay, that that's normal. That's nothing special. Like, like we've seen with LeBron, he's won lots of MVPs in his past, but now it's like, there's been multiple years where he should have won MVP, but the only reason why he comes up short is because his name's LeBron James. I think that that's starting to happen with Giannis. But I think that um, what you guys said about the Clippers was that the lack of media attention may actually be uh, positive for them. And I think that that could be the same with the Bucks. I think if um, – if because everyone is on Philly, and even though the Nets haven't played great this – I mean, they're up 32 at half on the Pacers without Kevin Durant. Or some um, bonus. Poor Sabonis, bro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with that, with that being said, like the Nets and Philly are getting all the talk right now, and um, yeah, I think 
this is actually a plus for Giannis and the Bucks as a unit because we're going to see them make a real push this year, and this could be the year that they get to the finals. So for those reasons, I'd, I'd probably put them at four. For me, um, I already said I have them at three, pretty much tied with Philly. So obviously that's underrated, but I just want to talk about them for uh, just quickly. Um, drop coverage is easily – their kryptonite obviously we saw with the wall with Giannis yeah I'll get into that in a second because I have some thoughts about that too but draft coverage that's a weakness they can't like they have arguably the best perimeter defense in the NBA Drew Holiday Dante DiVincenzo Chris Middleton you know those are guys who are threats on the perimeter and if they're not you know closing out on shooters I mean that's not going to work in the playoffs like I don't care if they play Boston you know I don't care if they play Miami again you know, worse teams than uh, they are. They're going to lose if they let them shoot the ball. And also, I mean, Budenholzer, he has done more of this this season, but it's not enough to my liking. As Zach said, get the ball in Middleton's hands. And, like, Middleton, he should have the most ball time on this team. Like, his shot creation is so underrated. Most people think of him as this off-ball guy next to Giannis, but he's the most underrated shot creator in all of basketball. He has so much versatility um, on that side of the ball and just give him more touches, give him more reps. And, you know, we've seen like people are like, Oh, they don't really have a true closer. I mean, that's because he doesn't get the reps to do that. Like if he gets those reps pretty much every single game grows into that role, he will be that for the bucks. And I think he's the most underrated all-star level caliber player in basketball right now. And um, I think if the bucks, if they stop drop coverage and, you know, even if they don't give the ball to Middleton even more, just as long as they stop drop coverage, I think they make the finals. And if they give the ball to Middleton more, then I think that's the icing on the cake for them. I think if those two things happen, they're definitely in the finals. So I'll go underrated. Um, any of you guys have anything to add? Yeah, I want to add something. Um, I mean, as of the time we're recording this, it's February 10th. Justin, I know you've been on the pod, so you haven't watched your team play tonight. How do you feel about Alex Len and Robin Lopez being your fourth and fifth highest scores tonight, having more points than Bertans. Don't even like say Bertans' name because, like, at this point, like, I don't. Oh, honestly, you go grab his jersey. I know you've got it somewhere back there, you dirty animal. My my Bertans jersey is downstairs, and it's safe to say that it was a tremendous waste of money because right, well, eighty million dollars for like for what he's been doing is just a disgrace. I want to, I want to have another pod where we, where we talk a little bit more about the wizards. We don't have to uh, like devote the whole thing to them because they're not that hot of a topic, but Bradley Beal had 24 on eight of 20. Russ had 23 on nine of 19. And after that, Rui had 15 and then it went nine from Bertans, 11 from Alex Len, nine from Abdia, 13 from Lopez, zero from Smith. And it, it just bad, man. Like, they, they were I, – I have my eyes on the game because they were within single digits of the Raptors at the end of the third quarter. They lost by 22. Like, Washington's just a, a really bad team, sadly, because you, – you don't, you don't have to embarrass the man on, live on the on – the I know. You're a dumpster well, fire. I know Hoop Supply, Zach and I, at the beginning of the season, we we said how, like, this, this Wizards team could actually be pretty decent. But, I mean, with the COVID protocols, the injuries, it's just – it's unfortunate, man, having Russ and Brad out there playing hard and no one else stepping up. It's just sad. We got to wrap this up, but one thing I'm going to say about the Wizards, I'm sure we have a podcast about you know this team coming soon. Just the one thing I'm going to say quick, 
I mean, we are the worst team in basketball. I don't care that we have Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. When you watch us play compared to other teams like the Pistons and the Wolves that might be in contention, we are the worst team in basketball. That's all I'm going to say. Um, free Russ and Brad, man. That's all. It's, just, it's free Brad. Free Brad. Brad don't want to be free. That's that's the that's, that's the true. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be free. That's true. He, he want to be free. Mm-hmm. All right. So this has been the Switchwire podcast. Um, you guys could subscribe to us on YouTube at Switchwire. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. At Anywhere Switchwire. that you get your podcast, baby, we're there. Mm-hmm. And Facebook. We have a Facebook too. Uh, shout out Andrew. Yeah, the uh, boomer, the boomer in the in the group. The it's boomer. Yeah. Come on to like it. Put your put your face closer to the mic, Zach. So get, I said, get your grandma to follow us on Facebook. Yes, sir. <laughs> We're branching out to all audiences. Check us out, though. Switch wire on everything. Mm-hmm. We're international, very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Interviews, podcasts like this, uh, all coming. Weekly. Busy schedule coming up in the month of February, so stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. All right, this has been the Switchwire Podcast. Uh, Justin, Mitchell, Scoby, Zach, Jay, and unfortunately, Nick, I'm assuming his phone died. Um, this has been the Switchwire Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed. Peace.